Hi. Hello. Look at that. It's yet another episode, and this time uh, there's 100% less Canadian. Uh, I finally did it. Uh, Passive Pixels is now a full-on Texas podcast. Uh, all we're going to do is talk about Whataburger and why it is truly God's gift to Earth and everything that we've done before human history that didn't involve Whataburger was a waste of time, if you ask me. If, except the Alamo. The Alamo was fine. Brandon, Moosington, Dorian the second. Man got stopped by the Mounties. He was headed over here to record, but um, his visa was out. Uh, lockdown was pretty bad, and he's going to be back at some point, you know, after he gets all that sorted out. So I decided to, I think as the English say, bring it home. I think it's something like that. And I've invited someone who lives in the San Francisco of Texas, which is Austin. Boot, how are you? How are you? I am doing pretty well. I have... I want to start off with a couple of points of clarification. Um, Ooh, of course. I do live in Texas, and I know I realized you, uh, you've you had a Canadian on traditionally, and yes, I need to clarify that in the interest of full transparency, I think I am technically still a Florida man, mm-hmm. so I will let the esteemed host and the viewers decide whether that is an upgrade or downgrade from Canadian. So, And yeah, I survived. I survive Austin daily. You know, I drive through the numerous numbers of uh, homeless installations that are like Ubisoft towers mm-hmm. strewn throughout the map. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's great to be here. Hopefully the moose eventually returns, but you know, as, as usual, um, when he's involved, I'm always around to set things straight. So wonderful. Now you had me thinking that the Ubisoft towers that are in Austin is just a mountain of homeless people just on top of each other trying to keep for warmth. Is that accurate or... It is. It is accurate. Um, I would say it maybe requires even more traversal. Oh, God, no. But yeah, and that's the thing. It's With GTA, there's this common um, rumor going around that the map is always going to be refreshed. So it's the same here. But it's the Ubisoft towers are always refreshed with various homeless encampments popping up around. So uh, it's always an adventure. It's it's a... Now, the problem is, is that Ubisoft and real life are both microtransactioned to hell. So I'm really worried about what that has to do with the homeless. I'm really scared about how God decided to design that. It is. There is no telling, you know, the, the RNG, there is no telling what the uh, the RNG produces in terms of microtransactions that they will hit you up for. Jesus. So, yeah, it's 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 rough out here in these streets at times. Horrifying. Now, at least the good thing is that you guys have mountains, you guys have that spring. Um, as long as I assume the homeless don't sneak in and die there, should be fine. Yeah, it should be fine. Where I live has walls. So, and I believe a gate with a code. So make of that what you will. Wonderful. Now that's what we all know that the homeless people, that's their main weakness. That's their main weakness. All right. I think we had enough preamble. Let's go ahead and get to the list. My list, I've got Majora's Mask showing up again. I've got Paprika showing up again. Troy Director's Cut. Before Sunset and Before Midnight, but I'll explain when we get there. Millennium Actress. Children of Men. Evangelion 2.2 and 3.3. Tokyo Godfathers, Call of Duty Black Ops, Doom Eternal, Diamonds Are Forever, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Caddyshack, and End of Evangelion. This is a mess of a list. Poot, what is your list? Yeah, I organized mine because I like to introduce organization once in a while in my life. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we'll go with games first. I have the Hybroxia 2 update, uh, Hades, Dishonored, The Pathless, Plague Tale, and It Takes Two. And my TV is Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, Loki. And uh, we'll get those out of the way. After that, I have Queen's Gambit, and then I have uh, Invincible. Okay. 
All right. You know what? The last one, fine. I will use discretion on certain items. So uh, my movies are Tomorrow War, Master and Commander, and Social Network. All right. Perfect. So because I know that there are people who watch this who have no idea what a video game is, I try to structure it where we go movies, TV, then games. So then they know when to cut out at the proper time, which Roger, hey, thanks. I hope your eyes are doing fine. Starting from there, I'm going to not do another weep trial because honestly, I think I did the joke three times. I don't know if I want to do it a third time, but at least I'm still going to front load it anyways. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to pack all of the anime. I'm going to. I'm doing quotation marks in the air right now. All the anime together in one group and knock that out. Is that okay? That is fine. When you say anime, you mean all Japanese animation. Yes, correct. I mean uh, full-length feature films from Japan that just so happen to be foreign films because that's what I'm sticking with and I refuse to see any other way to describe it. That's fine. I suppose I will allow it. Perfect. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and bundle up Paprika, Evangelion, Millennium Actress and End of Evangelion. I'm going to go ahead and go for the easy one. I'm going to just go End of Evangelion. Now, End of Evangelion, still phenomenal. Just absolutely, my mind still hasn't changed. The series is not worth it, uh, but there is great shit that is in the series that is probably some of the best stuff I've ever seen in animation. So, the, the series, my opinion, hasn't changed. End of Evangelion is still a goddamn masterpiece, and I'm probably never going to change my mind on that. That is still phenomenal uh i dove in deep a little bit on the youtube end and started looking up more explanations about the series and it seems like it does make sense it's just you know maybe you should have fucking explained that in the series before you put it in the movie but alas i'm not going to complain that much because even if i didn't understand what the hell was going on in end of evangelion i still loved it so Rewatched it. I decided to show it to my wife, uh, who I knew wouldn't like it because it's not like she likes existentialism like I do. So I already knew that I was just going to use her as an excuse for me to watch it again. So she definitely gave me a look at the end of it where I was like, wow, why did I even watch this? I'm going to be having nightmares of this. And I went, yes, I know that's okay, but I enjoyed myself. So I'm okay. Now, once again, movie. Phenomenal. You know, eh, eh. Anything that you want to comment before I move on there? I do not. I can't say that I'm overall familiar with the series. It's something that I know from afar has existed and is very highly regarded, and I may get to it eventually. I know mm. I've heard you comment on it. It sounds like something I may be intrigued in because it doesn't seem to have too much of the big A stink to it mm. um, for the most part. But uh, yeah, I will put it on the list. Okay. I'm going to mention this. Pretty much half of the series is a waste. Like, all of it is just... Okay, half of that first part of the show is just really bad. It's just every other anime. And then the second half gets really deep and existential. And you're like, oh, why wasn't that there the entire time? And directly from the second half to the movie... All of it is moments that you know Yoko Taro and Hideo Kojima saw this and went, yeah, I'm going to rip that off so hard and no one's going to notice. Or maybe they will and no one cares because I know that I noticed and I know I don't care. So I I can't give it a full recommendation. It's just something that 
if you go into, please do not attach my name to it unless you walk out positively. Okay. It seems like you've given given a pretty fair description. Um, certainly the Yoko Taro and Kojima name drops, as far as them lifting from it, is certainly very encouraging. Um, what do you, if I may pick your brain, what do you think uh, the pivot stems from? Have you researched that? Do you think it's a case of them just finding their stride or is it like entirely new writers and creatives or what do you, what do you think? So I'm pinning it more on the fact that the creator, so, okay, I did an entire episode where I talked to Dustin about it since he's the one who told me to watch it. We discussed all of that and through the minor bit of research I did before that episode, apparently the creator Hideki Anno or Hideki Anno, one or the other. Uh, he was writing each episode one after another, and he was already in a bad place mentally before he even started the show. But then progressively, as he kept writing, his depression started seeping in. And once his depression started seeping in, it got really existential. Like, it is incredible the, the amount of just depressingness that is at the end of the show. I mean, the end of the show is honestly it's fucking art like the last two episodes are some of the best animation i've ever seen because it plays with the medium of animation itself and it's fucking incredible but like i still can't ever recommend it because even though end of evangelion respects you like end of evangelion is a masterpiece a monster of a movie but that first half just disrespects your time so much that i can't ever recommend it unless i know someone has a tolerance for that at the beginning of anime Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I may give it a shot knowing that from what you've said, it, it does eventually get better and pick up. I will admit I generally have little patience for TV, right? Like there's the saying that you should give most any television show three episodes hmm. for it to really try to get its point across or to Correct. hook you. But yeah, I'll, I'll certainly give it a shot. I consider myself, you know, extraordinarily open-minded. Yeah, for, for me, I am kind of lenient when it comes to TV. If they give me a pilot that gives me enough hooks where I can go, okay, this can get interesting. This has the possibility of it. I'll stick to it. But Evangelion asks you for half, and I'm like, oh, that's... I, nothing here would make me want to keep watching outside of the fact that I respect Dustin's opinion, and, he, and he's the one who recommended it to me. Plus the fact that you've got the Nier and Metal Gear angle, which... Honestly, it took this trinity of things to get me through it. So was the Nier and Metal Gear angle, was that how Dustin pitched it to you as well? So he hit me more from the Nier angle. It's mm -hmm. more of that I already knew going into it that it had that to it. So it wasn't something that he had to really pitch me. He was just kind of like the last straw that was like, start it now. So even though this was always on my list, I'm still going to give Dustin credit because he was that final push to get me to watch it. Okay, that's fair enough. And like you said, you respect his opinion. I think there's a lot of overlap there in terms of the type of content that you guys consume. So yeah, I'll definitely give it a shot. Like I said, I've known about it for years. It's just been something that I knew would demand a lot of time. So it's just a matter of making the time and devoting the time to it. Correct. The one thing I will tell you, though, is that the opening song slaps every single time. And that would usually reignite me to go, oh, yeah, crap. I like the opening at least. So then it would trick me into thinking I'm excited for each episode. Oh, a, a capital A show with a bop of an opening song. I've <sighs> such a rare phenomenon out in nature. Oh man, I'm telling you right now. It it I watched 
I watched another video of someone, you know, just it was like a five minute comedy video on YouTube making fun of Evangelion. And well, not making fun of it, kind of like doing a comedic explanation of Evangelion. And he's like, you might notice that there's a skip intro bar uh, on Evangelion. This is actually a sting operation because it was declared illegal to skip the opening by the UN. So, so far we have seven people captured. So it's that good. Like it absolutely is that where every time I listen to it, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I do like this. And then it starts and all you see is just a still frame on a kid in a bedroom. And you're like, oh, all I hear are, are the crickets. Oh, oh yeah. The, the opening is really the only good part, isn't it? Okay. And I guess for, uh, this seems like a requirement nowadays in 2021 where, hmm. Where can myself and the esteemed audience, uh, is it streaming anywhere? I'm going to guess it's Netflix. Not. No, no, no. Ne- oh, no. it's on Netflix. Oh. The entire reason that people have hit a resurgence with this is that this has been gone for like years where even in that same video, I'm going to refer back to it because he says it perfectly. He's like, you can find this on DVD, Laserdisc, VHS, some Japanese washing machines, and I'm pretty sure even some satellites in space. But even then, with the abundance amount of copies that you have, you're still going to be spending your life savings and your firstborn to acquire a copy. But now that it's on Netflix, you know, like, by the way, uh, that that video was just great. Like, oh, my God. But five minutes and this man is just back to back stingers. But yeah, yeah. Thankfully, Netflix pulled it out because at least from being an outside observer of media, Evangelion was always something that people would make fun of because there were people who would watch it and they would watch it just for the intention of being able to say, I went through the trouble of watching this. You haven't watched Evangelion? Well, it's because you have no access to it that you can't see such a masterpiece. So uh, pretty much it already had that aura to it. And now that that is gone and Netflix acquired it, that mystique thankfully is finally gone. Which I'm glad because at least now there's going to be weebs who finally get to see that something artistic, even if it takes a long time to get there. Yeah, yeah, that that resonates a lot with me. Like I said, I it was one of those things that's just been around, you know, because obviously the visuals are so iconic mm-hmm. um, with that series, and so the entirety of it, including End of Evangelion, is on ne- is on Netflix as well, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So uh, the one thing I will tell you is that there are some people who say this, and honestly, they should probably get shot um, by a firing squad if they ever say this. If someone ever tells you this, just let me know. I'll probably call someone from Cuban and see, you know, if they need 20 bucks and like a couple of rounds, I'll probably take care of it, right? If they tell you to skip the final two episodes of the series and go straight to the movie, they can fuck right off. I can't imagine anyone ever recommending that after such a long-running show with so many episodes. Oh, no, no, no. It's not that many episodes. It's only 26. But even then, I I mean, I can't imagine someone recommending a show and then saying, skip the last two. I've seen a lot. Oh, okay. Well, actually, you know what? Let me explain. Let me explain because I just realized we're starting from zero here, all right? Uh, So... The end of the series, like the last three episodes, since these episodes were being done like literally at deadline and the, not the production company, the studios that were going to air it, they didn't have chances to actually screen them. So there was actually some fallout at the 24th episode where a kid dies. I'm going to keep it vague like that. And basically they freaked out. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? 
And basically with the final two episodes, they started pushing it through even quicker to the deadline so they wouldn't have time to tell them, hey, you need to take this out. The last two episodes of the series are ridiculously experimental where literally the medium of animation starts breaking down and it's it's no different than like art house at some point and it's incredible like it is masterful use of the medium and storytelling but uh i assume people weren't wise enough or cultured enough if i may sound like a fucking douchebag uh to understand the final two episodes are just a wonderful interrogation of the mental state of most of the characters and everything that they're going through so i assume people were like hey i thought this was a show about big robots but fuck man why are we going on a deep dive of emotions and ah, i just want to see a robot punch something and you know what they're wrong because that was never what evangelion is you have the first half okay if i had to suffer for that now you have to deal with the existentialism that i love in the second half and those last two episodes pissed people off to the point where they were sending death threats to the studio, not the studio, the production house, I guess, the production house that drew the anime. And at that point, they were pushed to make a movie to erase the final two episodes, except the good thing is, is that they still technically work within each other. And not only that, the movie doubles down on weirdness even harder. Okay, you've just convinced me to add it to my Netflix watch Fuck. list. Ah, uh, I think uh, with, I feel with, so conflicted. With, with all those caveats included, I will retain those for uh, in my mental bank. Okay, I will still say though, uh, end of Evangelion is art, and if you want to put in the work to get there, oh boy, oh boy, um, you are welcome at any point to talk my ear off about anything that you have there because uh, I can tell you right now even now after like a month or two of having watched it for the first time and even having watching it recently I still think about that movie way too often okay it seems like the suffering versus the payoff is a fair trade is what you're saying uh, barely uh, no <laughs> <laughs> no the problem is the problem is that like I love the ending of Evangelion and End of Ava get. Oh my god, you see, that's really difficult. I love the ending of the show, and I love End of Evangelion both very, very much, but the very fact that the first half has nothing for me to hold on to and be like, ah, you know what, I enjoy this, this is pulling me through. For example, what's coming to mind right now is Near Replicant V1.2, which you haven't played yet, I won't go into spoilers, but of course there's five runs in that game, the pro prologue, the prologue, A run and B run are all worth playing, but then C run and D run and E run are just infuriating. And then the second half of E run is magnificent and probably the best part of the game. But I think E ending is worth it because the beginning is still fine. It's just this little piece in, in the middle that's annoying. Evangelion is like front loaded. This is boring. And then it backloads all the phenomenal shit and the fact that it doesn't mix it in that well makes it so hard for me to ever recommend okay yeah, <laughs> i think i will still uh i will still give it a shot i i honestly like i said i i've been aware of it for so long i feel like it's almost essential viewing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and if I nope out of it, I will absolutely will not hold it against you at all. I promise. The problem is that if you start it, like, you need to keep going. Like, if you are already going to go in for a penny, you need to go in for the pound. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I may as well go all in, right, with my entire pot. So, yeah, I will do it. I'm committed. Okay, at least the good thing is that maybe at some point you, too, will not be able to stop thinking about the end of Evangelion. And then eventually you'll be like, hey, you got a you gotta link to that final song, which, um, don't worry, I do. That is end of Evangelion. That was longer than I expected. I'm going to jump to 2.2 and 3.3. To give background on this, basically the series ended. Then after that, the creator decided to do a rebuild series, which basically means that he was going to remake the series as movies. And not going to lie, walking into it, I was kind of excited. I talked about 1.1 last time, and 1.1 was pretty much a copy and paste job of the like first six to eight episodes of the series. And I was way more positive on that. 2.2 and 3.3 are quickly becoming <laughs> movies that uh, I was not expecting them to completely deviate from the original series. And I'm not going to lie, I don't know how to feel about them yet. 2.2 felt like it was a bit more tropey with the way anime is. It definitely had some more interesting twists, but at the same time, the fact that it still had that more of an anime tinge to it, I was like, ah, this is this isn't going the right way. But 2.2, I'm still okay with it, but it's going to end up being the same thing that I feel about 3.3, which 3.3, that one, that one definitely had more of a budget, so I enjoyed that one. But at the same time, it still feels like a middle chapter where I don't really know what exactly is going to happen. So far, I feel like a lot of weight is being put on the ending. So 2.2 and 3.3, if they have a good ending, I think these two will be elevated. But currently at the time, 2.2 is kind of weird. 3.3 is super out there where I was like, oh, you're committed to the completely different direction. But at the same time, it still felt like, oh, you're going in this completely direction, but you haven't provided enough time for me to be able to digest all these changes. So, so far, the two of them, I'm okay with them temporarily. They're on my shelf, but if four drops the ball, I'm getting rid of both of them and they're not on the shelf anymore. It's either getting rid of both of those or I'm going to get 3.0 plus 1.0 and put that on the shelf. Like It's no in-between here. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not going to pretend to speak about uh, Evangelion. <laughs> I don't know about it, but I will, uh, again, I'm going to I'm gonna definitely check it out eventually. Mm-hmm. Fair uh, enough. That'll, that'll work for me. No worries. I'll, I'll move it on. Uh, okay. From here, uh, I already got Evangelion out of the way. Satoshi Kon, this man keeps showing up. This man has my number. Uh, thankfully, for the first time, he did not have my number on something. Paprika. I watched Paprika again. Paprika's fucking great. It's it's art house animation. It's incredible. It still feels like it occasionally has moments of cheapness where I can tell, like, oh, you are really proud of this animation, so you're just going to keep reusing it. So, like, I get it, you know, there's realities of budget, but it still kind of makes me sad that in a movie, I still have to worry about them not having the proper budget to show what they want. So I was like, ah, uh, 
But at the end of the day, it's still so inventive with all of the drawings that they do and just the way that they structure things and the way that they're editing across scenes and across different dreamscapes. I was like, you know what? Okay, fine. At the end of the day, I still really like this. And honestly, I came out more positive on it where I'm glad it is going to sit on my shelf. It is going to stay there now until something I like maybe more knocks it off. But Paprika, enjoyable art house. Enjoyable. Boot anything or do I move on? No, you can move on. That's the one I definitely want to check out, though. Okay, perfect. Uh, Millennium Actress. Millennium Actress is absolutely staying on the shelf. Millennium Actress is just a really good movie, but I still am lost on how much I like it. I definitely like it. It's just that going through it, I was more entertained by just how Satoshi Kon handles a story than the story itself, because it is... So far, his style is to just mix in reality and with whatever the other world that he's handling is. You've seen Perfect Blue. You know how you have basically the main character slipping back and forth between either her dreams or whatever she thinks that her previous self is doing or the show itself, right? So basically, Millennium Actress is a documentary crew interviewing one of the popular female actresses from japan and i feel like it's a real story i feel like there's probably someone that satoshi Kon knows as an actress that's like ah i love you i'm just going to kind of riff on your history and kind of do this as like a love letter to you not yeah not romantic love more like i just appreciate the art that you do i'm not shocked if that would be the truth i haven't even looked into it but the story is this documentary crew talking to her and she's talking about her life. So a lot of times the actual proper timeline that they're talking ends up merging with the actual times that she's talking about. So imagine the, okay. So it basically has a Titanic framework. It has a Titanic framework where it's old Rose sitting on a boat telling a story, except imagine if the editing had a way where She'd be like, oh, and then Jack walked by me. And then you saw literally Leonardo DiCaprio walk across the actual, the new timeline. So imagine that kind of editing, but then it flows really perfectly. Like Millennium Actress is just really good. I'm going to rewatch it at some point to figure out how much I like it. But if Paprika is anything to go off of, I'm probably going to like it even more. Anything? No, I will say your foray into the Satoshi Conniverse is very motivating. I thoroughly enjoyed Perfect Blue more than I expected to, and I will definitely check out these others soon. I will tell you, uh, Perfect Blue is peak. Um, that's okay. really, that's really, uh, I don't like saying it because it feels like, oh man, Satoshi Kon, you made your first movie and then it was all downhill from there, which it's not true, but sadly it looks like that but like perfect blue is just on another level and then paprika millennium actress and the next movie tokyo godfathers they're just not on the same level which is i haven't been that raw raw about them like paprika if you like art house animation fucking absolutely oh yeah millennium actress i don't really know how to recommend that yet so i'm gonna need another rewatch but from there Tokyo Godfathers, on the other hand, man, that was a solid transition. Look at me. I'm hoping I'm making Con proud. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers, on the other hand, was the most anime of the movies. Uh, I I think I just don't like Japanese comedy. I think that's just what it is. What is Tokyo Godfathers? Uh, Tokyo Godfathers is basically three homeless people in Japan on Christmas find an abandoned trash can baby. 
and they start trying to figure out who would abandon this baby and that's the movie it's three men and a baby except they're homeless and in japan like that's just what it is and the movie always feels like it's treating these homeless people like with respect and it wants to actually dive into what got them to this point of view and letting you know hey you know they're still people but it doesn't really handle tone correctly because it still feels like it's trying to come from a comedy standpoint so it will tell you about oh man yeah these people they got here because of really bad circumstances but it still tries to play it too comedically so the movie always wants to try to feel like yeah we're being serious right now but then I don't want to say it undercuts itself because it's not like there's a joke immediately after that. It just feels like the tone of the movie itself is always upbeat. So even when they're trying to go darker, it never feels correct. So it's a weird one where I'm pretty sure someone can connect with Japanese comedy more than I can. Because really the movie does try to throw out a bunch of jokes, but it's really only like one or two that landed for me. I'm still glad that it didn't go to anime. What I mean by that is that it does bother me whenever the joke is that, ah, we changed art style. Now they're way more exaggerated. They have a big face and they're blushing. Like, I can't really stand any of it because it just feels cheap to me. Like, ah, we changed the art. This is going to make you laugh now. Like, I'm... eh. So I'm glad that Tokyo Godfathers didn't go so far off on the deep end to do that, but they were inching really close. Where I was like, ah, this is, this is getting too uncomfortably close. But besides that, like it was, it was fine. That's a problem. The fact that all of my, just all of his other movies were things that I feel like I could like. Tokyo Godfathers is the first one where I'm like, I don't think I need you in my collection. I don't fully regret my time with you, but I, I don't need you. Poot, anything there? No, from what you're telling me, it sounds like it was his attempt at comedy that didn't really quite work in all aspects. So I don't know if it's just that his comedy didn't work for me. I think it's that it's just a cultural divide because, for example, I remember having watched One Punch Man and everyone was like, oh man, One Punch Man is hilarious. This is great. And seriously, I watched it and i was like you're a parody of of what you're making fun of except you are also that too so i cannot like you because you are making fun of the thing that you are so if people find it funny sure may i think maybe i'm just not understanding it like there's some philistines out there who do not understand british comedy just in general and you know they're wrong but it might just be that that just isn't a culture where the comedy clicks in. And so far with everything that I've indulged in from Japan, I can't remember most of the things that I've seen in Japan be things that ever make me laugh. I think it's just a cultural divide where they have a different sense of humor than I have. Yeah, yeah. You you talking about it as a comedy that really didn't quite work has me racking my brain about really all of the, you know, whether it's Ghibli or whatever else. I really don't go to Japanese media necessarily for comedy, but that's okay, right? Like you said, it could be cultural differences. I myself like British comedy a lot of the times. Culture. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And One Punch Man, again, I watched three or four episodes it felt really repetitive and dry and it felt like kind of like a one-trick pony for me so yeah and that's fine I mean, it's in the title 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally yeah, and and to your comment about it being what it is, but also being a satire of what it is, it's you know very few people can do something like what Edgar Wright does, right, on a consistent basis. Yeah, that's a weird, not to go off too much of a tangent, but that's especially with his Cornetto trilogy. That's basically what they all are, right? Is they are like a zombie film, and they're also a parody of zombie films, and the same with yeah. Hot Fuzz. So. Exactly. I mean, if okay, so I'm going to throw it out because it was the first one that came to mind. Jane the Virgin is a parody of novelas while being a bona fide novella, but it's never tearing it down so much that like it gets away with it. So that one is a solid one where it walks the line where it just kind of is even commenting on the on itself like man this shit is really like a novella and like it's kind of winking at you so it never feels like it kind of hates itself for it. Uh, so One Punch Man, on the other hand, feels like it's making fun of Shonen and ends up being just another fucking Shonen. So that's the first thing that came to mind. The other one that came to mind was, fuck, I lost it. Never mind. I'm moving on. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, Tokyo Godfathers did not work for me. Oh my, no, 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 no. I want to try and get it back. I want to try and get it back, even if I have to cut the silence. Fuck. Oh, now I remember. Um. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, 21 and 22 Jump Streets are a parody of 21 and 22 Jump Street, but they do it in a certain way where it still feels like it's respecting the fact that they came forward. I mean, the fact that you have them making fun of 21 Jump Street, but they were still able to get the original actors in for a cameo kind of feels like that's a sign off on them. It's like, don't worry, you're making fun of this, but that's completely fine. And, like, on the other hand, you have Into the Spider-Verse, which feels like it's kind of making fun of Spider-Man, but at the end of the day, it's coming from a place that loves it. Oh, the Lego movie. that It's making fun of Legos. Like, it's it legitimately feels like it's making fun of Legos to some degree. But at, at the end of the movie, it pulls it all together. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, we're making fun of it. But at the end, end of the day, we still love them more than anything else. And what the connection that they can give across generations. Like, Bill Lord and Chris Miller have that down to a T. Yeah, absolutely. The word I think of is affectionate, right? Like, there's a difference between kind of like an affectionate, playful um, tribute and then just going like full on satire of something right like going on like a full-on scary movie type of thing for mm-hmm. example and yeah like w- with the lego movie right the entire kind of the premise is like you can't make a movie about legos yep and then they're like well fuck you watch us we're gonna we're gonna do a silly song called everything is awesome yes and uh it's it's all gonna work because you know it's it's awesome because <laughs> it shouldn't work and it does and that's why it's awesome so, exactly <laughs> so um, yeah th- that's the wonderful thing about them that they just kind of get that fine line that you need to balance between being able to make fun of something and still being able to pull a heart out of it, which once again, fuck you, Disney. I still wanted that cut of solo that you denied us. Thank you for that. Thanks. Oh yeah. You can't help but think about that. It's like a cloud that hangs over that entire movie, (laughs) even though I liked it more than most, but I don't, you know, the fewer tangents we go on, the better. It's a, it's food. This entire fucking show is just tangents. That's all it is. <laughs> I think our existences are tangents. <laughs> uh, yeah, our tangents are just literally existence. Okay, maybe you want, maybe you should watch Evangelion if we're getting here. <laughs> all right. Okay, then. Yeah, that's that's all I got. At least getting all of the anime anime bullshit out of the way that's all that's that i'm gonna go ahead and just knock out two things really quickly too before sunset and before midnight i'm not going to talk about them they're going to get a special episode they're great movies watch them by the time that i record it i don't know what i'm doing that i don't plan things Boot. i toss it over you take it however you want okay we're gonna start with movies correct yep okay so my first one is tomorrow war i will uh, in fact with these movies i'll go in 
order from liked least to liked most. So we'll, oh, we'll, all right, all right. Yeah, we'll, showing we'll your hand a little, again. A little bit get a little micro order in the macro order. So tomorrow, mm. we'll, okay. This movie is basically what you think it is, okay, and it is mm. a big. Hollywood action movie starring Chris Pratt. I will say with these types of movies, I have next to zero expectations going in. I will say what I did like about the movie is, first of all, the creature design Mm -hmm. is actually Mm -hmm. really, really cool. If you're into that sort of thing, very cool creature design. I don't want to get into it because it's not really a spoiler, but it's a kind of a cool reveal what they look like. They obviously, you know, set it up and there is a, an actually interesting kind of plot trick they use to hide what the creatures look like within the movie. Mm -hmm. But if I was to give, I don't know if you want to call it an elevator pitch, but if I was to give kind of a bullet point breakdown of this movie, hmm. it is like, imagine Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich, and Starship Troopers were all kind of mashed together into kind of like this Voltron of an action movie. Okay. And that's, I have that's one question. Sure. Uh, is it redundant to add Roland Emmerich after saying Michael Bay? Um, It is not, because I think Roland Emmerich delves more into the disaster focus Mm. whereas michael bay is more i would say more combat action focused if that's accurate okay that's a fair you get what i'm saying yeah okay so in other words michael bay is kind of more like i'm just gonna destroy shit and you're not gonna really worry about what's being destroyed while roland emmerich is more like you're going to see the actual destruction itself it's not about the destruction it's about how it's done yes yeah and they and they delve into that there's a lot of aftermath type of stuff like Mm. You know, I, I I hate to, it becomes numb at this point, but there is some like kind of post 9-11 imagery with lots of buildings, you know, plowed through and on fire and smoking. And, you know, I think we've become numb to that um, mm-hmm. at this point. But yeah, I will say the movie was a little bit better than I expected. Just as I said, there is a lot of movie here. Like I said, there is there is a lot of Starship Troopers with how a lot of the warfare and the war fighting takes place and pans out. There's a lot of Michael Bay with kind of the bombastic action and kind of the over the top characters at the times mm. and the pacing and thus the the pacing is very, very odd. Like there is, it felt like there were two or three movies in one, like the, uh, ah. like JK Simmons is in this as like Ooh. a crazy um, doomsday prepper. He's like fully roided up. You, you remember, um, oh. you remember Stephen Lang from, um, from uh, Avatar, the Blue Cat Alien movie. Uh, Stephen Lang, I can picture it in my head, but I don't he's, know. He's, if that's he's the bad. He's the the evil military guy. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It, it, it I'm over like, here. I'm a guy. Yeah, it, it felt like J.K. Simmons saw that and was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up that in terms of steroid usage and facial hair Wonderful. growth." Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that is a thing that is in the movie. Yeah, it's very good. There's 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 people. There's characters that show up. And then they just kind of disappear. Yeah, there is a lot in this movie. And the ending is pretty good. It's okay. Ivan Strahovski is in it, which, you know, I mean, hello, Miranda. I'm never going to complain. Um, oh, wait, she's, whoa, really? Yes, she's in this movie too. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to go into spoilers. But, you know, there, there's some, there's some uh, again, given what I said about the Roland Emmerich and Michael Bay and, uh, and Starship Troopers, there's some, there's some decent character work. They're, they're at least trying, right? I think this will resonate in, with you. There is nothing stronger than the Bonda family. That is that is what I will say. Mm-mm, no, no, mm-mm, no. You don't get to do that. You do not get to do that. No, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not. I feel like I specifically now have to go out of my way to now shit on this movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> we cannot Vin, invoke the name of family. Uh, yeah, um, Vin Vincenzo uh, Di Celio is not in this movie. So I will exactly. I need Vincenzo Dezelio. I need him to be in a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio just so we can get two 
Italian sounding names together on a poster. I don't care what the movie is. I just want that poster. Yeah, Vinny D and Leo D. Uh, that'd be that'd be a good buddy cop movie, actually. I think. Oh my god! No. Can you imagine Leonardo DiCaprio having to act beside Vin? Like I, well, can't I, I could totally do it. Like it, it could totally be a good cop, bad cop thing. Like Leo's the big charmer, and Vin's like the kind of the guy that stands off in the corner, in the shadows. And Leo's like, do you you don't want to talk to him? You know, you talk to me. I'm the good cop. And you know, Vin, I'm imagine Vin has like a toothpick in his mouth, and he's kind of uh, you know he's kind of glowering off in the corner. And I don't know. I'm I'm just. Uh, Maybe I'll have a script drafted up by the end of the weekend. Who knows? Look, let's be honest, okay? Amazon and Netflix are all about... They're all out here just buying every single script that they can. If they, if you have a pulse, you're getting greenlit. So let's workshop this a little bit. What if... You know, I like the idea that you have. I'm going to pitch out scenes. What if we have a scene where Leo is like... He's really trying his best to get a second Oscar. He's just really milking it. Like he starts eating the exact same liver from the Revenant because that's his good luck charm to get an Oscar now. Like he's really chewing it up. And then Vin just goes over and is like, yeah, you need to worry. Like, it's like, like he, Vin isn't even talking like Vin. He's just doing a Rocky impersonation because he knows that Rocky could get you a nomination. He's like, yeah, you need to worry about your matchup coming. You need to worry about your pills. Like, whatever he's doing, where can we fit this in that movie? Oh, I don't know. I mean, now that you mention it, I don't want to veer off on a tangent inside of a tangent, but... Tangent is tangents. Yeah, I mean, Vin could totally do, like, the the kind of organized crime collector enforcer into a boxer, right? Oh. As you mentioned the Rocky imitator, he could totally pull that off. Oh, okay. So now the question is, do we have a moment where basically... Yeah, I was thinking, so Vin obviously is known for uh, the car go fast, fly through air movie. Yes, wonderful. Uh, And Leo has that famous scene in uh, Wolf of Wall Street where he's hopped up on the ludes. Oh, yes. And he's like dragging himself. (gasps) And Leo is dragging himself. It could be on ludes or, you know, PCP, who knows, whatever. Use your imagination. Mm-hmm. And Vin is near the car, and you know, of course, we have to get the line where Leo says something like, "You know, these ludes or this PCP is powerful." And of course, oh. Vincenzo said, "There's nothing more powerful than family." And then okay. picks him up like Sam picks up Frodo mm-hmm. at Return of the King and gets him in the car, and they go home. Okay, I'm going to add a note. I think that we might get sued from Universal because I'm pretty sure after they saw the memes, they decided to copyright "Nothing is Stronger Than Family." So. I'm going to say that there is nothing stronger than a heterosexual cop partnership in a film. What do you think? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay, perfect. You see, because if anything, I'm thinking of End of Watch. And I think that even though that movie's good, it would have been really better if at the end, whenever they're at the funeral, I'm not going to mention which, like if someone had said, this is the best hetero cop relationship partnership that I've ever had in my life, I feel like that would have really pushed the movie over the top. And I feel like we need to get to that level if Amazon wants to give us $100 million. Yeah. I mean, if, if Bezos goes to space and kind of like leaves his fortune, I think that will up our chances as well. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like we both order enough from prime we can definitely make this happen i'm i'm a gold on discord and you're a blue so i think we can leverage mm. that as well um make that happen okay i think what i'm gonna have to do is that next time that they're just late with something with a package for like one day i'm going to go and chat and be like look 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 look. you can keep my money 
I just need to get a meeting with Bezos. All right. I've got Discord. I've got Skype. I've got uh, Facebook Messenger. Like, you just tell me how we can get this meeting and I'll get it done. Yeah. And I have Twitch as well. Um, you know, oh, I'm, I, I, you know, we, I use Twitch Prime. I use Amazon Prime Video. Um, if he needs me to get on Chatterbait to talk to him, I'll do it. Yeah. And, um, I will neither confirm nor nor deny whether I've slipped into Mackenzie's DMs yet, but uh, we can always we can always do that as well. No, don't worry, we're not going to interrogate you on that. That'll be off the air. That's fine. <laughs> okay, so uh, I just realized that, like I said, with every single fucking episode, I can never do everything perfectly. So I, I probably already never even said the name of the show. So that's already one screw up. The other one is that I didn't even do scores for anything which of course is just joking uh, scores yeah i mean i mean you know my position on scores yeah which is kind of flaky <laughs> yeah i i think they're uh i think they're reductive and smooth-brained mm -hmm. no but have you not no but i mean you know that i do them jokingly because i yes. hate scores too <laughs> yeah and i, I was actually uh, now that you mentioned it i was thinking of giving one item kind of a joking score um mm. kind of a serious half-joking score um but i i really don't have for Tomorrow War, yeah, I mean it's it's Roland Emmerich, Michael Bay, Starship Troopers out of ten. All right, then from here, I'll go ahead and score my things. Paprika is Acid Trip out of ten. Um, if you're into that thing, that's gonna be the whole score, by the way. Like not even the if you're into that kind of thing. That's part of the score. Uh, Millennium Actress, Millennium Actress is just uh, jury's out out of ten. Uh, we'll revisit that one. Okay. Um, Tokyo Godfathers is a um, uh, people are saying that women aren't funny when the Japanese exists out of 10. Uh, that's going to be my score there. Uh, End of Evangelion is going to be a masterpiece, artful anime should have packed it up after this released out of 10. Okay. That, that all sounds accurate based on how you've described them. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So we ready for my next movie? Oh crap. I forgot that. Uh, I didn't even give a joke score to the tomorrow war. Uh, the joke score for tomorrow war is it is a high budget movie that was probably bought out by a streaming service. So you know what you're getting out of 10. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. You have the next movie because I ran a train with all those other movies at the beginning. Okay, cool. So my next movie is Master and Commander. First of all, have you have you seen this? I have no idea what this is. I know it's just a thing that exists ethereally. <sighs> I know I've recommended this film a few times, so it shows you who pays attention in class. Uh, first of all... Uh, oh, I absolutely don't. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I didn't either, especially if it was like a 7 a.m. class. Just diabolical. Every single um, time they say you will always regret it. And every single time I went, no, I won't. Not this semester. Yeah, exactly. I was the same way. Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay. Master and Commander. I am 95% sure it is still on Amazon Prime. Very quick elevator pitch. It is Russell Crowe plays a, I believe, mid-1800s British naval captain. And first of all, this movie is awesome. It was a movie that I watched originally when I was younger and it is a bit more deliberately paced, and thus I didn't fully appreciate it, right? You see trailers for movies and, you know, a ship with many cannons that go boom, and it really isn't that. But when it does happen, it, of course, um, the impact pays off wonderfully. And really the, the brilliance of this movie is that it is a historical film, and it is inspired by historical events, but it's not concerned with being slavishly devoted to a specific historical event, like a specific battle or a specific biopic or what have you. 
Mm-hmm. Again, it is Russell Crowe who, despite some of his antics, according to South Park, he wants to fight across the world. I uh, would have you. He, the world. Yeah, yeah, and Aussie, and I'm not. A, I'm not even going to attempt that. Um, but he, uh, aside from all that, he is still. I, I think he is one of the most underappreciated actors of our time. He is consistently, at least, very good, um, in everything he is in, and this is no exception. And what I will say is, if another reason to watch this movie is you can watch Paul Bettany when he is not playing a android in a Marvel uh, MCU joint. Ooh. Um, he is, I think, arguably, probably, possibly the best part of this movie, the best performance. He is excellent as kind of the, I believe he's the technically the physician, but I think moreover, he is the kind of the closest friend and the confidant of, of Captain Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And really what the movie is about is at the heart, it is about kind of what life was like on a ship back then. And it is just a genuine, a genuinely riveting experience from beginning to end. Like I said, the ship combat portions are few and far between, but when they do, they have impact. Kind of similar to, not that they're scary, but it's kind of similar to when a monster attacks in a horror movie. Mm. They are an outgunned, undersized, underpowered ship that is pursuing a French ship that is destroying uh, a number of other British ships. So naturally, they're going to send in the underpowered ship. And as I said, it is based on loosely based on some events um, that happened with a particular British ship against a French ship. But moreover, it is just a, a wonderful, I think mostly accurate representation of life back then as a, as a naval uh, crewman. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And it, it, I file it under, um, in fact, I'll give it a review. Um, they don't make them like they used to out of 10. Mm. Um, again, it is on Amazon Prime. Let's see, anything else that I can think of for this film? Oh yeah, if you, I guess I can plug this YouTube channel. If you look up History Buffs, the YouTube channel, they do a review of this movie and they echo a lot of what I've said. In fact, I've echoed, in fact, I've more accurately, I've echoed a lot of their observations. So um, watch the movie, watch that YouTube video about it. And it is, um, it's just a, a wonderful film from beginning to end. I went through a ride here because I decided to Google it, right? I was Googling yeah. it. I pulled up the Wikipedia page and let's count this. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It took 14 words into the Wikipedia page where I immediately opened up another tab and tried to check why, where I could buy it. Uh, the reason I mentioned that is that, so keep in mind, Master and Commander, the far side of the world. That's mm-hmm. already a couple of words. Yes. It is a 2003 American. That's all the words. That's 14 words right there. I saw Epic immediately after, and I went, fuck yes. Absolutely. What do I need to do? Yes. Not only that, I also saw at the bottom, uh, this is the Game of Thrones to Breaking Bad. Uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, Breaking Bad was dominating just the Emmys every single year that it would show up. And it just so happened to be airing during the best seasons of Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones was basically snubbed out because Breaking Bad was there and Breaking Bad was sweeping everything. So the reason I mention that is that Master and Commander is the Game of Thrones to the Breaking Bad that was Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Yes. and I That's rough. I think there are some parallels there in that. Breaking Bad and Return of the King certainly got awards for uh, the overall achievement and the yep. sense of escalation, right? Yeah. Like the last the last two seasons of Breaking Bad are just peak tense television, right? For yep. the most part, from beginning to end. Especially, I mean, the last season of Breaking Bad is just, I mean, it's just a master, masterwork in tension. Right? Yes. 
Whereas I would argue Game of Thrones, obviously not the peak tension is when the show really hit its peak and its stride. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, season three and four of Game of Thrones, I think are about as good of, um, especially character work in television yep. that you're going to get. Correct. And those seasons were the ones going against season five and was four, five and six of Breaking Bad, which is rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I don't think it's diminished anyone's opinion or respect of those seasons of TV, especially given in light of certain most recent seasons of Game of Thrones, shall we say, mm-hmm. has made people appreciate them even more. In fact, I have a couple of friends that are rewatching Game of Thrones and they're just throwing out random quotes to me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know about where you are in the show. But the the last thing I will say about Master and Commander, it is based on a book, hmm. I recall. Disgusting. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a four-letter <laughs> word. Um, it's it's a slur, I know, on this, especially on this channel. And I only that. know that because I used to work <laughs> at a library. So, uh, yeah, books. Ugh, so. It was yeah, nominated okay. for 10 Oscars. Jesus. Master, Master and Commander? Yeah. Okay, it won Best Cinematography, it won Best Sound Editing, and lost everything else to Return of the King. Uh, yeah, that's going to happen. I mean, it, yeah, the sound editing is great, especially, like I said, during the canon spoilers there there's cannons with ships what? And they fire. i know I no know. way you're telling me boats have cannons in the I 1800s know. i know jesus next thing you're gonna tell me is that texans own guns oh geez that's that's the rumor about town i don't know if i don't know if i've personally witnessed anyone in a few days <laughs> in a few days I think, I think that's still the case it's a few days it's been a few days you know i haven't i haven't had one pointed at me so that's that's a good fortune I haven't seen a gun in three days. I haven't left the house in a week. <laughs> yes. Are you really even in America anymore? Well, like you said, it's the San Francisco of Texas, right? So, <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, now, the continuing the down spiral that I had as you were talking, it hurt me. It absolutely hurt me because as soon as I saw Epic, I was like, okay, Master and Commander 4K. Oh, it's just the Blu-ray. Oh, okay, that's a shame. When is the 4K coming out? Wait a minute. Who put this out? 20th Century Fox? Miramax? Oh, no. Oh, no. The mouse is never going to release a 4K of this, is he? He's never going to. I I want a Dolby Atmos track. I want a Dolby Atmos track for an epic movie. Why can't you give me that? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's, it's, I believe it's PG-13, correct? So maybe there is a small chance. I don't know, the Miramax thing. No way. No way. It is... This movie doesn't feel like it would be a PG thirteen one, is it? It it it, it, oh, it pushes is. the border. Yeah, I think they didn't want to make it R. You know, there's a big boundary in terms of uh, marketability there. Oh, it got Titanic. Did it? Probably. I mean, like you said, it's an epic. I'm sure it costed a lot of money, so they didn't want to barrier off people from being able to watch it in theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently, I don't even remember where I heard it. I oh, now I remember. Um, one of the only YouTubers that I've watched for straight movie content, Dan Merle. Uh, he's one of the guys who helped write a whole bunch of the uh, Screen Junkies uh, yes. Honest Trailers. Yes. He's great. And he had a podcast all about like different movies in his collection. And one of them was Titanic. And he talked about how basically Titanic, I don't remember who it was. It was either a YouTube video or people who are in like knowledgeable of the industry and he said that out of all the movies that were pg-13 like within recent times the one that probably had the most amount of infractions that should have made it rated r was titanic so yeah i mean the the draw me like your french girls alone right you're like wait is this pg-13 how did this happen so apparently they didn't they said that it wasn't even really the boobs that did it like they just said like the amount of violence and the amount of just 
carnage for the dead bodies afterwards was like, yeah, that should have been the R. Like, apparently the way that they argued the boobs thing was that, like, well, it's not sexual. It's done for artistic integrity, like, within the actual context. So they're like, oh, yeah. well, fine. You can sneak and, by. And I wouldn't put it past James Cameron to literally show up and burn down the entire MPAA, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean... That's totally something I, I imagine him doing. I don't think that he would use fire. I think he'd be offended by it. I think he would try to, like, call in a couple of favors from Poseidon, like, when he's down there looking for more wreckage. He's just like, hey, Poseidon, I need to find this ship. You know, they have a bit of a back and forth. And he just asked Poseidon, like, hey, I'm making this movie. You think you can threaten some of the MPAA? And they're like, he was like, done. Gotcha. Yeah, Poseidon said, say no more famine. Get the job done. But... (laughs) Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. They're... In my head, in my head, I'm just thinking that James Cameron's like at 7 p.m. I need all of these names to choke on the same glass of water. He's like, I got you. <laughs> totally. I mean, if one person can do it, it's James Cameron. You know, without a doubt, I, I will. That is one man I will definitely not cross. Never doubt James side. Cameron. Yeah, no. Um, but anything else that I can recall from Master Commander? No, I don't. Um, nothing else I can think of. Do you have any? Any questions for me? Are you sold? Did I do a good enough job? No, I'm already sold. I okay. just hate Disney, and I'm going to stupidly and stubbornly wait for hopefully a 4K version that gives me Dolby Atmos. <sighs> yeah, I would. Uh, I would buy that. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and give it a score. That's the thing. If you want to do a real score or a joke score or a real joke score, do whatever you want. I already gave it, like you said. Oh, yeah, you looked right. it up. It was epic, and I said they don't make them like they used to because they don't. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my score is going to be fucking Disney. Put out the 4K, you cowards! Out of ten. That's. I think that could probably be a common score based on how much material they've bought. So very much. Wait. Oh my God. This director did Dead Poet Society and The Truman Show. Oh. oh. Yeah. God. I blank. He has a pretty regular Peter Weir, right? Yes. Peter. He hasn't. Weir. He hasn't done very much, but he's pretty consistent. Um, banger. I believe is the is the vernacular used on this podcast. Correct. I. I was getting him confused with a prolific TV director. So, uh, okay, I was checking to see if that's who he was or not. But no, that that is not the case. Yeah, uh, he, has, he has one of those kind of common sounding names. So yeah, okay, all right. Uh, moving on from here, we got the joke scores out of the way. We talked a good amount. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and transition to what feels like the right movie to follow up with this. Troy director's cut. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're gonna, you know, epic to epic, you know, so. Yes. Troy director's cut. I should probably talk about Troy first and then talk specifically about director's cut. Troy itself is just big and it's kind of dumb and it just feels like it's relying all on its actors. I don't think there's anything yes. that special about the script. I mean, no. the directing itself and the cinematography is actually really boring, which is so weird, but it's a movie that feels like it succeeds despite itself, even though it feels like everything at every turn is trying to bring this movie down. <laughs> yes. But Brad Pitt is doing his all. Eric oh, Bana. Goodness. Yes. Eric Bana is doing his all. Yes. Um, Orlando Bloom is a fucking idiot, but he like he does it well enough that you're just like, eh, he's a teenage heartthrob. Just let him be. It's fine. Yes. And you have all of these other constellations of actors where you're just still like, man, even though they're not really giving you guys that much, you guys are still trying that much. So I appreciate that. Like, that's a good amount of things that you're putting in here that like, oh, absolutely. I mean, you got 
fucking Diane Kruger. You got five mm. Brian Cox. Mm. You got Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. You got Sean Bean. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that this movie, I'm pretty sure that David Benioff, the fucker, he was like, ah, I wrote the screenplay for this. Hey, Sean Bean, you ever read an Ice of Fire and shit? I don't know. I didn't read it either because I don't fucking understand this shit. I just want the rice bread. You want to help? You want to join me? So, okay. I'm, I'm getting too cynical now. I don't want to be cynical around Troy. Uh, <laughs> now, Troy, all of this just feels really good, really big, really dumb, really fun. And it just feels like if you allowed a B-movie to get an epic-sized budget. And I don't mean, like, literally epic. I mean, like, movie genre epic. So I really like it. There's a lot of charm to it. And by the end of it, I just... If I was just talking about Troy, I would have given this another... They don't make them like they used to out of 10. But... I'm speaking specifically about Troy director's cut. I'm conflicted here. Um, now that I know both of these versions exist, Troy has somehow dropped in my mind how much I like it. And that actually infuriates me because I don't understand how this happened. But if I had never watched the director's cut, I would probably be higher on the theatrical cut. But there is good stuff in the director's cut, and there are some egregious shit that is in the director's cut that they changed that bothers me so much to know that there is no definitive version of Troy. Like, at least with, like, Blade Runner or something. Like, you look at that, there was, like, seven different versions, and everyone kind of goes, yeah, if you go for the first director's cut, that's probably the best version. Don't go for the final cut. But the fact that Troy has two easily valid ones where you can go yeah this one is fine and so is this one it's infuriating there's more scenes with brian cox to flesh him out there's more scenes with eric Bana and orlando bloom i don't mean together i just mean scenes of them there's more scenes of sean bean like there's more scenes of all these good actors giving a little bit more to do but there's also something really insulting they change the music it sounds like they rescored the whole thing. And I don't know who handled it. I don't know who handled the music for the director's cut. All I know is that if, if, okay, the original one was scored by James Horner. Now, James Horner, God bless his soul. Like, he, he, he's dead. He's a magical man. I yeah, under, under, underappreciated. Yes, exactly. Like, look, Titanic. I love Titanic, and part of it is the score, and James Horner did the score for that. I really like Titanic. And the original movie for Troy still has that, and I really like his work. Why the fuck would you touch that? I don't know who scored the director's cut, and if it was James Horner, why would you do that? Why? I'm going to be very nice to James Horner. You've done enough work that, you know what, why would you do that? I'm going to be very nice to you. If someone else came in and decided to touch James Horner, fuck off. What is wrong with you? Quit. Just just quit. I never want to hear from you again. I never want to see your face on any single movie. If I see your name in the credits or something, I'm just going to judge you so harshly that it's probably going to ruin whatever movie I see you in. Get bent. That's how I feel. So, all of that. The music for the... the music changes didn't really click to me until you had the moment when Eric Bana and uh, Brad Pitt w- were fighting each other because you got the... Like, it's just this very quiet, uh, 
kind of like it's not bongos is it bongos actually no it might have been bongos so you've got this very quiet just bongos and every single hit they pull out the big timpanis for each hit that they land and i'm like oh yeah like this movie understands that this is already so fucking epic that you don't need that much music you just need and then you need to accentuate every single hit in the director's cut it sounds like it's gladiator and it was pissing me the fuck off like it sounded like it was like like it just sounded so overblown i'm like this is already epic you've been building up these two characters for two hours and now we get to see fight each other you don't need to make it this big please stop and i remember that i was telling my wife i was like this isn't right this isn't right. <laughs> and once we finished the movie, I look it up on YouTube just to be sure that I, I wasn't imagining things, and I wasn't. Like, the original song was better. And then I started watching the rest of the movie through that point of view. I was like, oh my god, you changed the music. You're making things worse. Why? But, but, I was ready to just be like, this movie is worse. Even if you have the extra scenes of all these characters and these actors getting to do a little bit more, I was ready to just be like, the director's cut, I'm ignoring this, I'm going to sell this off, I'm going to buy the original one because the original one is better. However, however, that was before I saw a Greek man grab a Trojan baby and throw it at a wall twice. <laughs> now, so I am, I am, um, I, I, I know you'd mentioned this. Um, yeah. Okay, I did a little timeline here. So you mentioned that scene. I think what happened was they saw the Return of the King scene where they, you know, lob the, the Gondor soldiers' heads over the wall. Mm. And they're like, you know what? We need to one-up that. We're going to use babies. <laughs> That's what I think. Was. Return of the King came out, oh, a few months. Um, Probably before, a year, a year about. Yeah, and I think they, they're like, yeah, we need, let's, let's one-up that. And the studio was like, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to... I know this is R-rated, but we're not gonna we're not gonna chuck babies at walls, you know. Um, so that's I I, I was so completely thrown off because at this point, like I said, most of the director's cut has just been a little bit of additions to flesh out the characters. So yes. we get to this point, and basically, it's the Greeks coming out of the Trojan horse, and they start just wrecking shit. All right, mm-hmm. and what really tipped me off was the first time was that the Trojans were running away, the Greeks were running after them, and it's just this wide shot of an intersection. And the Greeks are starting to really wreck shop. And then eventually I see a Greek guy pick up a Trojan woman by basically her legs. And it's like, oh, yeah, she's probably going to get raped. Like, that's probably what's going to happen. And then I was like, okay, now cut away. Oh, no, we're not cutting away. We're just going to stick on this wide. Oh, no, there's a second Greek man about to rape her. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Is this where the director's cut is? Oh, okay. And then eventually it just started escalating from there where the Greeks made a man one flip into a noose and i was like oh my oh they're trying to get style points now oh my god this is just this is just oh my god they're really going for the high score right now aren't they and it just kept escalating from there like they just were so brutal there was a the the moment that i could not help but laugh and my wife was just horrified because like hours before we watched this movie we were with 
ba- like I think it's her baby niece and baby nephew. They're twins, so she was holding babies not long ago. And this Trojan woman just has a Greek man rip the baby out from her. And he grabs the baby and just throws it into the room that he pulled her out of. And she just has this blood-curdling scream and I just start laughing because I can't believe what I just watched. (laughs) And my wife is looking at me with tears welling up like, did they just throw a baby? (laughs) I'm just looking at her cracking up like, I think they did! (laughs) I think they threw a baby! (laughs) And even before we got to be able to pay attention again, they threw another baby! Like, they showed a completely different Greek man throwing a different Trojan baby, and I was like, oh my god, they're doing it! Oh my god, they're really doing it! <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I, I, I think I love this. <laughs> this is horrible. This is horrible. This is probably what's going on, really, when it got sacked. I love this. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Oh man, I need to. I almost want to look up the background because I did look up the background of the music, um, and it seems like they fired um, no whoever did, whoever did the music originally, and they brought in um, they brought in Horner and he did the the score oh, okay. that we know within like four weeks. Okay, so it did play out as I suspected. Apparently, it screened like the director's cut, whatever the hell you want to call it, and among those cuts was literally the composer, and so they brought in. Um, James Horner to do the score for what we, uh, I believe what we currently know now as the traditional cut of the film. But as far as, and I think the baby's thing is just like, yeah, we are not going to, I'm surprised it actually got released at all as a director's cut, but maybe they just said, fuck it. We don't care. I mean, they were probably like, we don't have to pass by the MPA with this. Then yeah, absolutely. Put the throwing babies back in. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good point. Do you have anything more to say? I actually had a few things to say about this movie. No, no, you go for it. You go for it, so, and then we'll bounce back and forth. Yeah, so this was actually the first R-rated movie that I saw on my own. Oh. Um, yeah, so it, it's always been kind of special to me um, in that respect. Yeah, and it was just, I didn't appreciate the like the true stacked acting cast. Like, Peter O'Toole's in this movie mm-hmm. as yes. King Priya. And I didn't, I didn't really know who Peter O'Toole was, but he was, like, acting, he was acting the shit out of everything. And you're like, oh, it's the Lawrence of Arabia guy. Of course. And then, like you said, um, Brendan Gleeson and Brian Cox are just there playing brothers. Um, and you, you mentioned Orlando Bloom. That was a good meta casting. Like, of course, he's going to be this little kind of wimpy guy because he is like in terms of physique and everything. He really kind of is. And he looks like it. Right. He's a good. Casting. He's the heartthrob. Yeah. He's the heartthrob. And, that, and I mean, Diane Kruger was. Uh, I'm, that's look, that's I'll, it. I'll pick up for a second. Uh, the director's cut uh, in Wikipedia says, for instance, the love scene between Helen and Paris was reframed to include more nudity of Diane Kruger. We can move on from that. Continue. <laughs> I have I have no comment on that. Moving on. Um, yeah, and I mean uh, to to cap it off, Eric Banner is really good. That was probably my first discovery of him. But same. I mean to cap it off, Brad Pitt in this movie. I mean he is just a tour de force. And you had mentioned the acting carries it. The acting literally carries it like the people pulling the Trojan horse into the city of Troy. And yes. in this case, the horse is this big, dumb movie. Brad Pitt is oddly quotable in this movie, I think. Yeah. And in the beginning when he says, uh, you know, what is your name to the kid and blah, 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 blah. And the kid says, I, you know, I would never fight a man like him. And he says, that's why no one will remember your name. Just um, he, he, he fucking just, devastates that kid. I'm pretty sure that kid is now high on op. Well, okay, not now. He's probably just literally bones. But like uh, ten years forward after that moment, that kid is high on opium because he realized that Achilles said is never gonna be remembered. 
yeah, I mean, his soul, I mean, his soul probably left his body in that moment, right? Like immediately. Yes. <laughs> um, but my, and ju- just his kind of like antagonistic nature with Agamemnon, they just despise each other. And he's just kind of there is mostly bored. And then probably my, my favorite quote of his is when he's about to fight Hector. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is lifted from the source material, which is not, it's not a book. I believe it's called an epic. Um, um, I just want to make that clear. It's not a book. Um he says something to the effect of, you know, you won't have eyes tonight, Prince Hector. You won't have ears or a tongue. You will roam the underworld blind, deaf, and dumb, and all the world will know. Here is Hector, the fool who thought he killed Achilles. And I was just like, oh, this is epic. And and that fight is actually legitimately good, too. Yes. Never watched the director's cut version. No? Oh, because of the music. Yeah, no, it's... it's it Okay. The fact that we've both seen the theatrical cut means that we're, like, I know for sure I could not escape it, and it was dragging the movie down for me. Like, never watch the director's cut. Just remember how it is in the theatrical cut. Honestly, the best thing I can tell you is watch the theatrical cut, and then at the very end, just then, if you can somehow just cut over to the director's cut by the time that the sacking of Troy happens, it's the better movie from there. Yeah, other than that, there's nothing that I really wanted to highlight with this movie. I would absolutely classify it as a guilty pleasure. I would by no means say that it is a good movie. You know, I think there, there's some CGI aspects of the big battles that don't really hold up. But, eh, you know, what are you going to do? You're yeah. not going to hire that many extras. What I will say about all the extras and CG thing, they still do it in a certain way. Like They do it in a good way where they still have enough real people mixed in with the CGI extras where your eyes kind of glaze over the fact that, like, you know it's fake, but they have enough things that ground it where you're like, okay, you know what? I accept. Yeah, between between the long distance and the panning, it really covers it up very well. And there's, you know, the... The fight scenes are really good. the The beach landing combat scene is really, really good. Yes, um, when they're you know, you are myrmidons, you are lions among men, and I'm like, hell yeah, Brad Pitt, I'm ready to, I'm ready to charge a beach with a dumb shield for you. Um, your you beautiful um, bronze, bronze tan self. Take it, it's yours. Yes. Oh my god, he, he is a tour de force in that movie. Like Brad, and like I said, it's a movie with Brian Cox and Brendan Gleeson and Peter O'Toole and Eric Bana, and Brad Pitt is just he's borderline carrying the entire film. And I think he really kind of has to, because he has to be the magnetic presence. Literally yeah. that's his character. Right. And yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's just, it's a fun movie, I think. And you can kind of tell everyone is being over the top deliberately. Yes. Um, the director is Wolfgang Peterson. Um, he I think is pretty underappreciated. He did Daz Boot and um, the never ending story. If you haven't seen that one, that is a classic. That is a childhood classic. Um, but yeah, I really have nothing else to say. And did you give your review of it, your score? Uh, no, no, I have not. I was going to take it back for a second. Okay, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Director's <laughs> cut, literally a line, depicting the soldiers raping women and murdering babies. <laughs> <laughs> literally a line, right there in the Wikipedia page. Oh, that's wonderful. <sighs> uh, the other thing that makes me sad, though, is the uh, whole media tab. Uh, Troy was released on DVD 2005. Director's Cut was released on Blu-ray 2007. The Director's Cut is the only edition of the film available on Blu-ray. However, the theatrical cut was released on HD DVD. Thank you, Warner Brothers. We are Thank just, you. We are making bad choices in terms of media availability, aren't we? <sighs> Look, I'm. I can accept it's Blu-ray. But fine. It, it Fuck hurts it. I'm me just. Already. I'm just gonna say it. It should be in the Criterion Collection. That's all. If that's what it comes down to, then that's what it comes down to. Oh, okay. oh. Brad Pitt. 
Brad Pitt, make it happen. Has is Brad Pitt even in the Criterion Collection? He okay. should. Okay, uh, that's actually a good question. Is Twelve Monkeys in the Criterion Collection? I think it is actually. Now that you mention it. Okay, because that feels like that would be his best bet to get in. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, uh, you know, you know what Brad Pitt should. Uh, I mean, we can. I don't know if you've ever seen this film, but the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I'm a failure. I have not seen it. Oh, uh, that should that should be in the criteria. And I think it should be. It's very deliberately paced. It's extremely kind of contemplative and reflective, and it's a very good deliberately paced deconstruction of kind of what a what a legend is. I would highly recommend that one. I you know, Brad Pitt is like Russell Crowe for me. I think he's really underappreciated. He's oh, supposedly the smelliest actor in Hollywood. That's a little <clears throat> tidbit of trivia. Um, but despite that, I think he is underappreciated. Okay. Generally speaking. Um, I didn't know Brad Pitt was in the Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. Uh Terrence Malick. I mean we could <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. He's his stuff just really isn't for me. But uh I, I need to figure out where I stand with him. I think everyone does. I think even people that are fans of his think that he does. <laughs> like like even people think that he's still a little pretentious <clears throat> or what? Oh a little? Yeah. I mean he's, he's oh. <laughs> pretentious in the dictionary. Yeah, you're he's his face is going to be there without question. <laughs> okay, fair enough then. Okay, noted. Uh, I'll probably try Tree of Life because to invoke his name again, uh, Dustin, once again, he actually really loves that one. And I'm like, huh. Well. Oh, that's right. He does. That is that is definitely one of his more divisive films, which is saying something. Hmm. Eh, I, I'm still going to give it a shot. Like, I still want to try it. Uh, oh, he did Air Force One. Wolfgang Peterson did Air Force One. Okay, I have watched a movie of his then. Yeah, and, and you you got to see Neverending Story. That is that is a classic. I will consider it because I know that there is something that's very sad that happens in it. Oh, so I would love gracious. to see my wife cry. That's that that is a seminal moment in many a kid's um, childhoods, and that's what has you me know, excited to talk watch about. It. We talk about lessons in life not being fair and cruel. That is that is an example of that. That was that was a formative experience for a young poot without a, without question. Okay, uh, I'm gonna wrap up Troy now. Uh, the ending does have a good little epilogue with the Trojans leaving Troy. It's actually pretty good. It kind of annoys me that they cut it out of the theatrical cut. Uh, and another thing is that they CG'd uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, decapitating a dude instead of slicing his throat at the end of the movie when he's saving Perseus. So that was weird because by the time that I get to the end of the movie, I was so desensitized to so much of the violence. And I was like, okay, I understand what's going on here. And then I see Brad Pitt. He still has the same motion as he does in the theatrical cut, except now the man's head fucking flies off like 10 miles away. And I was just like, you know what? Fine, whatever. Okay. Yeah, I I think given that more kind of intimate moment, I think that would have been a little bit ridiculous. But I mean, that's it is after after babies getting thrown into whatever you know on walls into into abandoned on fire huts. <laughs> I think it would fit. But yeah, I think that, that that that's that's a sensible cut. It was still a really dumb choice. Like, I still think it was a really dumb choice because even getting there, it felt like everything else that's been like super violent felt like it fit into some degree. This was yeah. one where I was like, ah, you didn't really need to do that. You could have just kept his throat slit. Like there's a lot of throat slicing in this movie. You could have just kept it like that. Yeah, I would agree. I think it was just a case of, you know, the director or the special effects or someone just being overindulgent. Yeah. Quite possible. That's the message with this movie, overindulgent. Uh, 
Oh yeah, I mean you can get away with that with with the actors involved in terms of them being overindulgent, but yeah, sometimes you just need to rein it in just a little bit. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and give Troy a score, and we can move on. Troy, I'm gonna give a score of overindulgent out of ten. Uh, did you give it the same score? Oh, we know. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna do two scores because I did talk uh, uh, okay. theatrical cut. Uh, okay, so director's cut. I'm going to give it a score of no one will remember your name out of ten theatrical cut i'm gonna go ahead and give that a man i really shouldn't have watched the director's cut and ruined this for myself out of 10 okay i can't score the director's cut because i haven't seen it but my score for troy will be um sean bean actually survives out of 10 you're right oh wait i I I want to mention that i want to mention that because apparently the idea was that they were going to do more stories about the iliad and the odyssey and they were going to use sean bean as the connective tissue and i'm sad that we never got that i am too i think he may have been a little bit old but i'm not sure i'm not up with my uh greek mythos believe it or not but Mm -mm. uh Mm -hmm. yeah there's a new chapter every week Oh yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I forgot to check how that movie did financially. I want to guess it probably barely broke even, which probably probably not enough. I'm guessing it was pretty high budget, and like I said, given that it was rated R, probably uh, it limited, limited the audience. Yeah, for sure. So all right, now I'm curious because we can't ever fucking get off Troy. I'm just trying to wrap up Troy, but no questions keep coming. Okay, no, it probably made its. It probably made some profit. Nothing insane, but enough where you could have seen someone trying to green light a sequel. Um, it made sixty million dollars. Uh, I'm using I'm using quick maths. You know, okay. the budget was one hundred and seventy five million. Usually, the rule of thumb is that you go times two point five. Basically, it's 1.0 for the movie itself, and then 1.5 for the advertising budget, yes. which leads a break-even price of $437.5 million. The budget was closer to $500 million. so they made something on here, but it wasn't the big fuck you money that they always want. Yeah, and I think if there was to be any prospective sequel, I don't think it would have near the stacked cast, right? So that yep. would probably cut down on the budget, and it probably would make it PG-13, um, <sighs> so that could that could make it more accessible, unfortunately. No throwing babies, um, damn it. Yeah, and I mean, we got those, um, oh god, we got those crummy uh, eventual Sam Worthington movies. Uh, <laughs> the less said about those, the better. All right, yeah, let's, are we done on Troy? Okay, I gave it Sean Sean Bean survives out of ten. I mean that that's that's a pretty significant score. I mean that's that's pretty high accolades. It's <laughs> no. a high accomplishment for a film. <laughs> I had another thing and I already forgot, which I'm glad about because that means we can move on. You've yeah. got the next movie. <laughs> okay, the next movie actually actually is my final movie is called The Social Network. Yes. Oh my god. I already hear the I, score in my head. Uh I oh yeah, yeah. I mean Obviously, you've seen this movie. Um, yes, dude. it is Fincher. When I, I recall hearing about this movie, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, How? David David Fincher and is directing a um, Aaron Sorkin screenplay." I'm just imagining that's ego central. There's no way this movie's yep. gonna get made. It's gonna be production hell. They're gonna be screaming at each other because um, these are two notoriously picky, pretentious, demanding people. I mean, Fincher is known to do forty plus takes of scenes. Um, not to mention his meticulous cinematography and the way his films look like you usually instantly know a Fincher film yep. when you see it and you know Sorkin dialogue is very, very specific and snappy and back and forth. Yeah. Um, 
but this is a case of where the stars have lined. This project landed um, on both of its feet safely, um, you know, orbited around the Earth a few times, went around the moon and all the solar, all the planets of the solar system and returned to Earth safely without a scratch. And it is a miracle. Yes. How, how good this movie is from beginning to end. This is admittedly a rewatch. I've seen it, you know, two or three times. Mm. I was literally digging through. I don't have a shelf yet. I have a bin. Um, mm. But I was like, oh, I forgot I actually had this movie physically because I had watched it some time ago. I had rewatched it, I believe, on Netflix. And I'm like, you know what? This is kind of serendipitous. I'm going to rewatch it again because I have it physically. And it is just the pacing is perfection um, from beginning to end. Um, it is something that struck me. It, it is is a it is very, um, very well bookended in in the fact that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, you observe at the beginning and at the end how really pitiful and pathetic he is. Yeah. Um, a scene that struck me, a very low-key scene is, you know, during, you know, it pivots back and forth between the the various hearings and the lawsuits and the, the lawyer lawyerings up, as it were. <laughs> um, he's sitting there alone in the conference room, and that just kind of encapsulated it. He was really was alone. He isolated people. He drove them away um, from his arrogance and his ambition. And um, I got, what is her name? Rashida Jones's character. I don't forget her name. She's like the assistant attorney. And her, she is Rashida Jones. Yeah. She's a junior attorney with three or whatever the hell she is. She really kind of observes him. Like he is a, like he's an abandoned puppy, like on the side of the road. She just feels pitiful and pathetic for him. Um and that's really what he is. I, oh goodness, Rooney Mara, I forget, you know, his ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. she basically says that to him point blank to his face. You know, you are pitiful and pathetic and you treat people like garbage. And that was my main um, takeaway, you know, because my first couple of rewatches, it was obviously the deterioration of a friendship, you know, between him and um, Andrew Garfield. Uh, goodness, I forget his real life character's name. Um, Wait, uh, and, uh Eduardo Severin. Eduardo Severin. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and, I, and admittedly, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to do much of a Wikipedia dive um, while watching this movie. I wanted to really marinate and let it sit with what um, you know Sorkin and and David Fincher had to say about the film, um, just because of the artistic craft that was on display. But yeah, from beginning to end, the acting performances. It's like, oh, Andrew Garfield is an actor. This guy will be one to will be one to keep an eye on and then he did spider-man and then jesse eisenberg did um did lex luther and let that be a lesson you know don't dive too quickly into doing superhero roles you know in common <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that's so a there, there's a connection. common there there is a common parallel there um this this guy named army hammer is a good actor too uh yeah what do you know a quality director and writer get good performances um out of actors who have had you know a myriad of of successful to unsuccessful projects um, throughout their careers. Um, nothing else. I'm trying to think of other things specifically that stood out to me on the top of my, off the top of my head upon rewatches. I can't really think of anything else. Justin Timberlake didn't annoy me as much upon rewatches. Hmm. I kind of got his character like, okay, he is a douchebag. Yes. Um, so Justin Timberlake, I guess has been, I'm sure he's been around enough douchebags. I, I suppose he is a, himself a douchebag to some degree. Uh, okay, I'm going to defend him for a second because at least his association with Lonely Island and his role in pop star Never Stop, Never Stop, Stop, Stopping. Um, yes. so he, he's self-aware that even if he does come off as a douchebag, I'd be shocked that it, if he so wasn't. 
but it would be shocked. safe to say I think I think it would be safe to say he was definitely drawing from his more um, unironically un- unironically douchey years, right? Yeah, I okay, I can fair to say I can agree with that. Yeah, he's just a complete self-absorbed prick, and he was kind of like the the devil on uh, Mark's shoulders. Uh, obviously, I think Mark did enough of that on his own, right? And I think uh, there's a comment from Eduardo in one of the scenes, like you, you know, you did that on your own, or I think one of them said that to the other um, when their relationship finally deteriorated um, in that mm-hmm. famous that famous scene when he confronted him. And, oh my God! Yeah. By the way, yeah. I just want to acknowledge this because you just reminded me from that scene. They got three. No, no, no. I don't remember if it was three. I think it was three. I think they got three f bombs in on this movie. Wait, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and again, that's probably the. It's like with Cameron. That's the power of uh, Fincher and Sorkin, right? Can you imagine, uh, Mister Sorkin, Mister Fincher? We're gonna we're not gonna need to, and they're just gonna say, you know, fuck you. We do what we want. <laughs> Sony Pictures is like, hey guys. Um... And I mean, honestly, outside of. I mean, I think there's some there's some innuendo, right? There's not real actual raunchiness. There's no violence, so I could I could see them definitely um, getting away with that. Um, Look, we don't shoot anyone. No one's literally getting naked. Can we just get one more f bomb, please? I know you give us two each PG thirteen movie, but can we just have yeah, one? More? I'm you know I'm Eric I'm Aaron Sorkin. I'm David Fincher. You know how dare you? Um, yeah, they're, this they're is not the only be... time we're going to make money on something that isn't rated R, please. Yeah, and I'm sure their argument was: listen, you guys are old fogies out of touch. You don't know what this what this book face thing is. <laughs> You're never going to watch this movie again. You don't care. Just let it go through. You know. Um, and then, actually, now that I think of it, another thing that struck me is you know it, it kind of part of it is kind of the Ivy League life, right? Like it's it's a status symbol. You know, you're kind of made you know when you get through you're kind of a made man if you will similar to the mafia and you kind of realize these people are smarter but they are definitely by no means any better of actual human beings right yes absolutely oftentimes they're worse right because they have this sense of entitlement about themselves like well i'm just gonna i'm gonna change the world for for good or ill and they don't Mm -hmm. really care so yeah yeah i really have nothing else much to say i mean my score i i don't even know what i would score this in terms of a kind of a flourish of words um you want me to take over while you think about it yeah yeah go ahead take over okay. what do you what all do you right. have to say yeah in fact i should obviously defer to you to give your input before i score it all right now when it comes to the social network i like everyone else went a facebook movie it's 2010 it's 2011 are you kidding me why are we getting a facebook movie this early and at this point i was uneducated i still had no idea about directors or anything like that so aaron sorkin uh, david fincher these names meant nothing to me i'm pretty sure i might have even already watched fight club and yet somehow it still didn't click with me that directors have a voice <laughs> crazy right um <laughs> so, looking back like i said it's 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 a fincher film without question Yes, absolutely. And just, I remember thinking about this. My brother came home with it with that very nice Blu-ray case. I mean, the actual slipcover where it it looks like a Facebook page and pretty much the messages on it are all the praise that people have heaped on it. And I mean, that Blu-ray case is just a great one. So I remember thinking that and thinking, okay, you know what? I see all these names on here. I'm a dumb fuck. I don't really know who any of these people are or if you can trust them by the way now that i'm on that topic uh if there are people who are like from a local television network giving a review and it's like oh it's great like you can usually disregard that 
like they got the same fucking dude who was like on a Fox network in like in the middle of Minnesota to be like, yeah, Transformers Dark of the Moon is the greatest film ever made. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And the only time that that wasn't true was Mad Max Fury Road because they pulled a completely different guy from Fox saying the same thing like, oh no, why didn't you get someone a bit more prestigious than this? <laughs> Moving on from that. Um, basically, The Social Network, I remember watching it and I kept thinking, all of this should be boring. All of this should just not be working. There's no reason why the invention of Facebook from two nerds should be interesting and yet that's the power of sorkin to somehow take something that looks so mundane and punch it up with so much dialogue and have actors that can chew into that dialogue and milk it for all it's got that you end up with something that is as a monster of, of a movie as a social network i i can't believe how good that movie is i rewatched it not long ago like maybe a couple months ago definitely not this year and because I think my wife had said she hasn't seen it or doesn't remember it. And I was thinking, well, I don't really know what to do. I haven't watched this in a while. She hasn't watched it. There's enough reasons for me to rewatch it. I just kept thinking this entire time while I was watching. I was like, this movie just always in every single scene is better than I remember it. And even now, I think with the amount of praise that I'm heaping to it, it's still probably going to even be better than the way I'm talking about it. And that's an impressive feat that even I know with the amount of praise that I'm heaping it in my memory, I know it's still not enough. Yeah, without question. You're talking about it has made me think of a few more items that I, I thought of to discuss and just the way the way that it's structured, right? With the back and forth kind of the uh the stare i don't know the staring contest kind of the the wild west stare down between attorneys and, and zuckerberg and Saverin, and mm-hmm. the way the way sorkin excuse me the way uh, fincher cinematography works is that you know his his films tend to have a a darker um look to them you know and i mean there's his films obviously have darker tones but literally the look of them right yes and i think that help plays that helps play into the flashback aspect of a lot of those scenes, whether they're in the dorm or they're at Harvard or, you know, around the Harvard campus, what have you. And um, right off the bat, um, that scene of, I think where he's walking or running through the Harvard campus, um, Mm -hmm. there's just like a kind of like an ethereal dreamlike aspect to it to where you're like, okay, this is almost like a, like a flat. It's literally is like a flashback, right? Cause they, they have the present day um, flash forwards. And so it really is, almost like a, you really are exploring the history. And to your point about how can a Facebook movie be interesting? It's right. It's done through the prism of this. Like, like I said, this really sad, pathetic guy, it, you know, it's that meme of the dominoes, right? He starts off by creating this stupid girl rating, um, face match girl or rating, something like yeah, that. Girl, girl rating app. And that it devolves into, uh, Oh my God, we have influence over entire governments. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's basically what and that story in and of itself is fascinating, regardless of whether it's Facebook or whether it's, you know, the the introduction of oil as a source of power in the in the, the turn of the 20th century or what have you. Yes, that is the story. And that's ultimately why it works. It's like this egotistical, self-centered, self-absorbed, pitiful, pathetic guy. You know, he is all of those things, but he also um, not to mention he, you know, I guess he supposedly lifted or stole from these. You know, and then those the the Winklevoss twins are certainly not sympathetic figures, right? They're entitled, um, spoiled brats with spoon in their mouths. That's ultimately why it works. And I think from beginning to end, um, like I said, it could have been Facebook or 
oil or, you know, who knows, cryptocurrency or what have you. It's just really fascinating. It reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of There Will Be Blood in terms of the kind of the ambition yes. and the self-centered and he's, he's not afraid to <laughs> walk over anyone, whether it's be- his best friend or in this worldly blood, it's, you know, his son or what have you. It's just, it's a fascinating um, character study, regardless of how much of it is true or not. I'm sure there's competing uh, narratives that are formed around the film, but yeah, it's beginning to end. It's, it's perfectly paced, immaculate. And I, I really, I don't have anything else to say, okay. to be honest with you. Perfect. All right. I feel like this is a good time to move on because, okay, you already gave it your score. I don't remember. I didn't give it my score. Uh, I guess, I don't know. Um, the domino meme out of 10, I guess mm. would be, would be good. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go ahead and quote one of the posters uh, and uh, that's going to be my score. Uh, the poster that has his face and just words over it. Uh, there is one that you don't get a, to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. That's a good one, right? But I like the other one. And that's going to be my score. The score is punk, profit, genius, billionaire, traitor out of 10. That's going to be the score. Okay. I think both of our scores combined are a good encapsulation of the film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So from here, I'm going to go ahead and just bundle the two Bond movies together because I just want to get them out of the way. Uh, Diamonds are forever. Uh, I... Wow, holy shit. I remember nothing. I remember nothing about Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, wait, no. Uh, I remember the theme song. Wow. Oh, my God. That's. I think that says everything. I, I watched this not long ago, too. I don't remember a thing. Wait, I, I feel like I'm about to get it mixed up. No, no, no. There was a solid car chase. There was a solid car chase through the streets of LA, not LA, Las Vegas, and it was in a solid Mustang or some other muscle car from the early 70s. Oh my god, I don't remember fucking anything about this movie. Okay, that's I, that's the score. That's the score. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to clarify what's the score. That's the score right there. <laughs> um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I just, I skipped through most of this one. I really did. I just accepted that George Lazenby is not a Bond that I care about. He did one, and he was out, and within like the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was like, you are not doing anything to grab me. And I read the Wikipedia summary, and I jumped to the end because I wanted to see a a drive-by hit up a wedding. Like That's the only reason I jumped to the end. I was like, you know what? There's that. Blofeld, uh, he was in a, a bobsled, and I was like, are you telling me that the climax of the movie is a bobsled chase? Okay. All right. I guess. I guess I'll jump to the end. Wow, that's actually kind of embarrassing. I remember more of the maybe maybe total hour that I saw of her of on her Majesty's Secret Service when I watched Diamonds Are Forever, and I don't remember a single fucking thing about that. Oh, oh, wait, wait. The opening had Blofeld uh, trying to clone no no it wasn't a clone he was trying to get someone to look like him like a body double but then later on in the movie apparently it's like a triple it's, it's a body triple because there was already a body double. oh my god seriously i can't remember this movie at all oh i i'm not revisiting that one uh honor majesty secret service once again same thing uh the most notable thing is that the bond girl for this one ended up being the older roses lady from game of thrones and she still has 
that same spunk in her at this young age as she did as an old lady, um, if I remember correctly. Her name is Diane... Diana Rigg. Thank you. Yes, Diana yes. Rigg. Uh, she's great in the hour of this movie that I saw. And honestly, I don't think anything but modern Bond should be more than two hours. Quit that shit out. Yeah, those older movies definitely had a cheese and a camp about pretty much all of them, right? Here's the problem. The cheese and camp are what I like. These two felt like they took themselves too... Not exactly too seriously, but they felt like they took themselves more seriously than the previous movies. And that was to a detriment of my enjoyment. <laughs> Oh, okay. That makes sense. I think, um, I don't know if this is coincidence, but a little bit of trivia I just looked up is that um, Sean Connery actually declined on Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm. which is why George Lazenby stepped in. And I guess, like you said, it wasn't good. Thus, Sean Connery returned no, for no, no. So, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Or was it the other way around? I'm in the minority here. Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service was a movie that people on initial watching, they didn't like. George Lazenby wasn't even uh, hoisted out. He specifically said he only wanted to do one Bond movie. So, it, like, all of this, like, people didn't like it at the beginning, but now when people revisit it, they're like, oh, it's one of the better Bond films. So I think I might be in the minority here for this movie and how people perceive it. That's interesting. I, I had read that he, uh, that um, Sean Connery declined. Oh, um, yeah, no. So Sean Connery did decline. George okay. Lazenby got casted, and Lazenby... Even oh. as they were advertising the movie, was like, "This is going to be my only one." That's interesting. Yeah, so they I'm got they strong. got back they got back um, who I still think is probably the most iconic Bond. Mm, yeah, no, no question. I still really like Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah, I've always He's kind of had a fuck. soft spot. Yeah, I've always kind of had a soft spot for him. He's definitely the most um, silky smooth. I like his own kind of unique um, charisma he brings. Um, Sean Connery, I, I rewatched a few of them many, many years ago. I think my older relatives really liked them. And I, I forgot how really rough and gruff he was. Um, I was like, man, this is a kind of, he's a little bit borderline domestic abusey at times. <laughs> oh, that's every Bond movie. That's every Bond movie. Yeah. But I mean, Sean, but Sean Connery is like, he has a more gruff, uh, nature about him as well. So I was like, Oh yeah. When we talk about stuff, not aging well, it's like, Oh, Okay. I'm pretty sure that in Diamonds Are Forever, because it's the most recent one I watched, I'm pretty sure Bond goes up to one of the women and is like, hey, I need information. And she's like, no. And then he just, he doesn't deck her. He open hands it, you know. Uh, Close fist for the men, open hand for the women. And he just, <laughs> and she's just like, huh? And Bond's like, I don't have time for this. I need information. Oh, God. <laughs> Wonderful uh... stuff. <laughs> They don't make them like they used to, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay, so Diamonds Are Forever. That was the score. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is I'm probably wrong out of 10. That, that's what I'll give it, but it was also a skip out of 10. I'm also going to give it two, I'm gonna give it two scores. It's, it's, one score is not fully encompassing. Uh, remind me, you said that your movies were done, right? Yes, I am okay. done. Yeah, perfect. All right, then I have two movies left. Uh, Caddyshack. Uh, I'm just gonna make this really quick. I'm probably sure you're gonna take the lead on this one. I didn't like Caddyshack. I, what I what know. didn't what didn't you like about it? What what didn't work? Uh, okay, Bill Murray for me is a person who I don't feel like he puts in effort into his roles. Now, before I start getting castigated, right? Now I like Bill Murray. 
I like the fact that it doesn't feel like he cares. I like that it seems like he's he knows that he's in a movie, and I always like that. I don't think he was utilized in the right way, which is that he's supposed to kind of take the piss out of everything, and here it doesn't feel like he does that. It feels like he's actually still taking it seriously, like, ah, yes, I am not Bill Murray yet. I am the groundskeeper, and that didn't really click for me. I don't think anything that Chevy Chase actually said made me laugh, which was weird. The only thing that made me slightly laugh is that no one can bumble like Chevy Chase. Like whenever he was pulling out the golf clothes, I was like, okay, that's, it's really hard not to laugh at the physical comedy that he does, but there wasn't really anything that ever got me from what he said. Occasionally he had something where I was like, yeah, I guess that was humorous. But then Rodney Dangerfield, every single time he shows up, the man spits gold. The man literally dribbles gold with every single thing he says like the one that clicked with me the most is like who would want to wear this hat like i don't remember he insults the fucking hat and then they cut over to an old man like hey i want to buy this hat i'm wearing this hat and then ronnie dangerfield just goes but it looks good on you like oh but that's so gold yeah absolutely i think he is definitely the star of the movie and i think anyone whether um they liked it or disliked it would agree that he is the standout I will say the movie overall does feel like two or three different movies. It does almost feel like um, it does almost feel like they tried to combine a few different like SNL type skits and characters together. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I told you this previously, but I I enjoy it as really just legends of comedy coming together. And I will agree. Bill Murray does kind of do his Bill Murray thing, similar to what Jeff Goldblum does um, at times, but he just, does it so well and consistently like he he knows like any any good comedic performer does they know their kind of wheelhouse and what they're good at and the type of comedy so yeah i think it's a classic comedy is one of those things where it really does come down to specific tastes right like Mm -hmm. we discussed that with um the film earlier um tokyo godfathers i believe it was yeah some some humor just doesn't really work for people i i will say i myself am very picky about my comedies Mm -hmm. um it is tough to make me laugh, especially laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that is a movie that I think can be inconsistent. Like I said, there's some, there's a little bit of two or three movies going on at once at times that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily flow well together, but it makes me laugh consistently enough to where I think it's, I think it's a bona fide classic. So mm-hmm. I'm never going to say anyone who likes it is wrong. I'm just going to yeah. basically put myself in the camp of, I don't think I get it. Yeah. Again, that's more than fair enough. Like if someone doesn't, if someone isn't down for like the Monty Python films, for example, right? Oh, that's, like, that's, I, I love that's bannable. That's, that's, uh, I, I, that's murder. Uh, like, yeah, first degree, we're getting rid of them. If I see anyone out here not laughing during the Holy Hand Grenade scene, I'm choking you out. Oh, uh, the, the killer bunny scene. Yeah, yeah. It's, Jesus it's, Christ! Yeah, just the way he says, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I told you. I warned you. <laughs> what can we do? Pull up the Holy Hand Grenade. The Holy Hand Grenade! <laughs> Yeah, it's just yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's that's another uh, yeah. Holy Grail is another film where it's like it could be easily just be separate short films, but they're just so well put together that it's just it's it's a yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too far into it, but are you? Do you have anything more to say about Caddyshack? No, that's it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a Rodney Dangerfield out of ten and a Boomer out of ten. Okay, uh, I guess my score would be Noonan out of ten. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to keep rolling. Uh, yeah. That's okay. Let's see. The last movie I have on my list is Children of Men. Uh, uh, I respect 
and appreciate Children of Men more than I like it. It is a supremely competent film. Everything about it is high fucking level. The scene where they're walking through the battle and there's a ceasefire is quite possibly one of the greatest scenes ever put to film, just in general. Like, if you had to create a top 100 list, that one is sneaking in somewhere. Now, that might sound like I'm kind of diminishing it. There's been a lot of films out there. There's been a lot of good films, too. So I'm not trying to diminish it by calling it top 100. I'm just saying, like, it belongs there. Like, that is a magnificent scene. But I'm not going to lie. I feel like I was appreciating the art more than I was enjoying it. And I don't think it's like a, oh, well, it's a depressing, dire movie. Like, you're not supposed to really enjoy it. Like, I do enjoy things like that. So, like, what I mean is that I just don't think I was brought into the movie well enough like I was on my first viewing. I don't hold it against it because that first viewing was still incredible. I think that it's still a supremely drawn world where you understand exactly how this world works and all you see it is from like the point of view of like six or seven characters. So that is already incredible writing and directing and acting that everyone just understands what this world is like that you just don't even need them to like pull out to kind of show you what's going on. It's a magnificent, wonderful movie that it earns every single accolade that it deserves. It's just one that for some reason on this second viewing, I found myself kind of staring at my phone a little bit and going, am I going to get on right now? Am I going to do this? And every single time I would, I would just be like, I'm sorry, movie. I'm sorry. I don't want this to be happening, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. I think there are a few pacing issues um with the movie just due to the nature of the structure of it and let me ask you've watched it both times like in your in your home theater correct no the first time i watched it was like a couple of years ago i'm not exactly too sure when i came back around to it this is the first time that i've watched in the theater well theater room theater room i feel like i have to clarify okay okay yeah i've watched it um in the theater once so like what i would do is i went to see a lot of movies in the theater and then i would watch it not only would I decide if I liked it, but it's like, okay, do I want to recommend this to my parents or do I want to um, have them watch it? And it was a case of where, yeah, I really like this. And I think like, for example, my dad would like it because he, you know, he brought me up on a variety of different films, Blade Runner mm-hmm. most most notably. So um, yeah, yeah, that was a case of, that, that's one that kind of has a unique bond with me. So um, I, I need to rewatch it again soon. I want to, um, I... I would say that I do think it does peak in the beginning just due to the nature of, you know, the, the artistic um, camera work at play. That um, one shot. Yeah, it is a better, I think it's a better battle scene than most war movies, like you said, like a top 100 type of thing. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think nothing else in the movie gets to those heights, but I enjoyed um, the story that they were telling. It wasn't anything original, I would say. Um, um... Uh, I feel like the way, okay, the reason why I don't feel like I want to get into the conversation about originality is that this movie was 2006. Like, it's in the midst of the Bush administration, so you can definitely see the shades that, like, this is definitely a political movie. The way that they have everyone in cages, like, 
yes, I know I'm looking at it from 2021, but like even looking at it back then, like it, not much has changed. So I don't want to say that it feels like it's original because it feels like it's coming from a place in time where it's observing the environment that it's in and then commenting on that and then taking it to the to the logical conclusion. Yeah, I can I can understand that when you put it in the context. It is 2006. Wow, it's it's older than I that I remember. I feel old now. Um <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a zeitgeisty aspect. I don't recall really having any familiarity with Clive Owen before that, so that was kind of cool. Oh, this guy's a this guy's a good actor and I don't recall that I had any familiarity with Alfonso Cuaron. I mean that either. I know that there's some people who let's see, Tu Mama Tambien was probably the only one that most people really knew. Um, and yeah, then, I, I watched. I watched, that, I watched that after um, after Children of Men. Yeah, we're not going to count Prisoner Basket, and that's cheating. Like a lot of people, a lot of people can be like, I watched Alfonso Cuaron. I watched. Prisoner basketball, like no, that doesn't count. Yeah, without question, I was definitely familiar with him because I had the same reaction many many people did. I'm like, wait, they're they're using the the E two Mama and the Children of Men guy to do a to do a Harry Potter. Okay, <laughs> okay, now just just because I want to I want to clarify, E uh, two Mama también was 2001, Prisoner basketball was 2004, uh, Children of Men was 2006. Children of Men was 2006. Oh, okay. See, I I had my memory. Jog there, so I definitely, I definitely, okay. Then I definitely did watch E2 Mama before Harry Potter, um, because I, I remember being aware of him before the Harry Potter thing got announced. Okay, so you're, you're refreshing my my memory here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the only way I'm pretty sure that people knew of Children of Men. Like, no one was like going, "Hey, I'm gonna watch Children of Men because I loved Prisoner of Azkaban." Like, no, this person does not exist. Yeah, but if it, you are this person, it, you're not real. And. But I think to, to reinforce the point then, um, it makes the Prisoner of Azkaban directorship even more puzzling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's like, we're going to wait. We're going to... And I guess, I guess there's some, what, coming-of-age parallels, I guess? Yeah. Working with younger actors? I mean... Yeah. I'm pretty sure Harry Potter wasn't jerking off into a pool, but okay. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, uh, you know, a romantic, I guess, three-way between two barely legal young men and, uh, like, a caretaker-type woman? I don't know, but, um, yeah, it makes it even more baffling. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, then I, I, was more, I was more looking forward to Children of Men than I, than I even recalled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah it's I really really like it overall it's underappreciated it's just kind of one of yes. those movies like with Master and Commander it's just like oh that movie was really good we don't talk about it enough yes I agree uh, pretty much I mean I feel like this movie you're not wrong feels like it's been forgotten it is yeah. absolutely a masterpiece and I'm pretty sure that Neil Druckmann saw all that and went yeah I wasn't I thought of that at the very beginning when you when you mentioned it I'm like oh god am I going to mention those that which shall not be named no, no, but I will say that this this has like Children of Men has its thumbprint on The Last of Us. Not even part two because let's not go there. But like, no, we it has know. its thumbprint on it, the first one. Absolutely, like you can just tell that the focus on both of both The Last of Us and Children of Men have things to them that feels like they put so much emphasis on the world around them that it just gives it so much context, even if they don't say a word about it. Yeah, without question. And I think the look of it, um, specific children of men was, 
I think was obviously since it's a film, I think it was more influential on more um, dystopian. Yeah, proceeding towards post-apocalyptic. Yeah, so that makes it even more interesting. And yeah, I, I think it's. Um, yeah, now that you think of it, I'm afraid it's it's a movie that would maybe they would have tried to eventually remake um, to sheer futility. But ugh, yeah, we'll we'll see how the. I mean, we'll see how the last of us show goes, but uh, no, hold on, hold on. I need you to say remake Children of Men one more time. Remake Children of Men. There we go. Okay, I know that sound. Mm-mm. Started off early on. I hadn't had a gun pointed at me, but <laughs> <laughs> that's no. no. Oh, I, I, I need Alfonso Cuarón to come out and basically have the um the Robert Zemeckis stance of like, you will remake this when I'm dead. Yeah. Just, just leave it be. And like I said, maybe it, maybe it being kind of overlooked and somewhat forgotten is a good thing. So yeah, the good thing is that hopefully because it's forgotten it enough, people will feel like they have to evangelize it harder. Yeah. Which I think we're trying to do right now. Exactly. All right. Uh, we good on children of men. Yeah. What is your score? All right. I'm going to give children of men a ceasefire, ceasefire out of 10. Uh, my score is going to be, um, Thong flip-flops during dystopia out of 10. Hell yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Also, God, that just felt really religious. That just, it just, I, mm, it's dripping with it. I was a big fan. Yeah, he's wearing thong flip-flops and he's shepherding uh, someone. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. On, on, the, on the nose. <laughs> it, it's good, though. It's good. Like yeah, it's, it's good. fine. There's it's other fine. things it, that are. They don't like, hey, you're wearing thong flip-flops like Jesus. <laughs> they don't. You're, you're telling me that you didn't love that part where they literally put him on a cross? Oh, man. Come on, man. I like the movie. You're trying to make me like it less. <laughs> I'm joking. There wasn't a moment. I'm just saying. I'm just. I didn't exaggerate it enough. That's a problem. I That joke sucked. I, I'm going to keep it in just because I want myself to be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's all we got for movies. Uh, games. I'll go ahead and take the lead because I just have a short thing about Majora's Mask. I haven't played Majora's Mask. That's it. I, I just haven't played more. I keep looking at it, and I finally did a walkthrough to figure out what I had to do, because I just didn't remember what I needed to do. I just haven't come back to it, because I'm like, I don't want to come back to you if I'm not going to give you my full attention. So I just keep staring at my 3DS. It, it get, It's low battery, and I'm like, I need to go charge you. I, I swear I'll get back to you, and then I just don't. That, that's all I got from Majora's Mask. You can go and take it however you'd like comment on it say whatever I mean, you want. the only thing i have to say is um my score would be you can just straight port it and i will still buy it out of 10 uh all right if we're gonna if we're gonna go there uh my current score is nintendo if you release a super game boy thing like you did for the snes except it allows 3ds carts to be read on the switch and you release it for seventy dollars up to like let's say even one fifty, I'll do it out of ten. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's that is an accurate score. That's that is the ideal. What is that meme of the uh, the ideal society? Right, that's, that's <laughs> the ideal society. Nintendo, if they decide to allow you a way to play 3ds games on Switch, and it's just a utopia. It, it's it's basically the polar opposite of Children of Men. You know, they change the network port from a, from an adapter to just straight into the dock now so i think the logical progression is you know a super game boy for a 3ds so look nintendo blessed us with oled they're in the oled gang they they they're forgiven for a lot yeah so you talk about oled enough and your prayers are answered to some degree so <laughs> not like this not like this not like not this, like this. <laughs> i hate that i know that God, the Matrix is so fucking bona fide. I'm gonna watch that again at some point and give that uh, entirely a special episode. 
Yeah, I will. I will be on that episode with many a things to say. Okay. Look, look. I know I'm gonna be inviting a whole bunch of patrons because I'm gonna be like, I like all of them. You like all? You like all three? Four. We're not going to stand here and exclude the Animatrix. The Animatrix is fucking great. Yeah, I actually didn't mind the Animatrix. I haven't seen it in forever, but um, I watched the second and third one a few months ago. And I what? What is the next topic? <laughs> <laughs> that that's all you that's all you we already hit Majora's Mask we're going to get the games it's all you okay games um, the Hibroxy 2 update the fine folks at Lilymo Games gave us some extra free hashtag content mm. um, which is good I've almost got the platinum I have one trophy left which I believe is to beat the boss rush plus plus mode the game is very good I played the predecessor Hibroxy 1 and two back to back, and it is just a great sequel. It is everything that I would want. Um, it is a substantial upgrade, obviously, in a little bit of the graphical fidelity, but also in the sense of progression and the gameplay and the enemies. And there's bosses after every level, which I absolutely love. I think that's a great touch. Mm. It is uh, substantially harder. There's oddly for me, there's some weird difficulty dips, I guess is the opposite of spikes. There were some bosses that I thought were easy. I don't know if they just weren't addressed or, or if they weren't buffed or what have you, but yeah, the boss rush plus plus mode that I'm attempting is definitely very difficult. Um, so if you're a fan of the game, absolutely download it. It's free. Um, why not? More shooty shoot. My score for it is Canadians can develop good games out of 10. Mm, mm, mm. I heard praise for Canadians when this isn't the day for it. So I'm going to I'll, I'll consider if I cut that out or not. Yeah, we'll we'll okay. see how I land on that. Um, Habroxia, I, I've said it before. As the number one premier Xbox podcast, we don't really like to think about games. So Habroxia itself, by being a game, I already hate it. So uh, if it's not streaming on Netflix or Amazon Prime, I really don't want to fucking deal with it. So I'm okay. just going to guess how I feel about Abroxia. I'm just going to guess. You know. uh, Abroxia is good. I enjoyed it on Vita. Still haven't played the second one because, once again, I just am a little bitch that just doesn't know what to focus on right now, and which is why, as the premier Xbox podcast, I talked about the entire show for movies because, you know, Xbox, no games, blah, 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 all that. Yeah, my my this is an inside scoop, and my source is... Oh, uh, shit. You know, obviously, the, the situation is fluid. Um, things are always changing, but... Supposedly they're trying to get it. They're trying to get all of their uh, the Lilymo, the the Canadian developers are trying to get all of their mm. all of their supposed games on a pass type system. Like you, you uh -huh. get this. Um, apparently you you buy a pass. I don't know. Maybe it's like a golden ticket, like a Willy Wonka. I don't know what it is, but they're trying to get it on that service. So mm. we may want to uh, keep an eye out for that. I think uh, what it all, does all is all that Xbox gets you on a platform and then you see a game and you decide to pass on it because you have an Xbox. I think that, that could very well be accurate. I'm on a PC right now and I see games on my PC desktop. So I, I don't know anything about that. All I know is, um, you know, Abroxy are pretty good. Canadians can make good games once in a while. Once in a blue moon. So now, as we all know, Xbox is just an app that is on your PC that's always broken. Which uh, why would I go there? We have Steam. Uh, Abroxy exactly. is on Steam. It is not on the Xbox. So uh, don't know what to do about that, really. Uh, so Abroxy, good. Um, give Colin Moriarty more money. Uh, we like Colin Moriarty. Uh, give him more money, please. Okay. Do you want my next game? Or are you going to do a game or how to? Oh wait, you're right. Oh. <laughs> Uh, wait, oh, Hobroxia like, score. Hobroxia 2 score, even though I've never played it, and I just have to assume because I'm a number one Xbox fan that doesn't play games. Uh, uh, it's probably a video game out of 10. 
and it's good. Give it money. Uh, okay. okay, go going on from there. Uh, my next game is Call of Duty Black Ops. Uh, listen, I, I just really can't pay attention to games right now. I thought, what is a better time to not pay attention to a game than Call of Duty Black Ops? And I played the campaign, and I'm not going to lie, it's something that now, only 10 years later, because this game came out 2011, no, 20, 2010. 2010 so 11 years later this game 11 years later now do i realize that not only did my brother play modern warfare 2 while i probably wasn't home and was on my save file and i didn't realize i missed out missions until i played the campaign again for veteran now 11 years later i realized that when i bought black ops he played on my save again when i wasn't home and i didn't realize it so there are campaign missions that i played for the first time 11 years after when i completely done the campaign not only that i realized that i i beat the game i know for sure i beat the game i never popped the trophy that says i beat the campaign so i think somehow my brother tricked me and i was playing on his account that he no longer has access to so I remember everything about the ending of this game, and I had no proof that I did it back in 2011 because I think I was on the wrong account. So that was the most jarring thing to me about Black Ops. Uh, why did I go into this parable? Because that parable was more interesting than everything in Black Ops. I don't know how people say this was part of the peak. The peak was Modern Warfare, maybe World at War, I haven't played that, and Modern Warfare 2. I haven't gotten to Black Ops 2. I'm probably going to start that today. But Black Ops 1, anyone that says this is peak, I'm sorry. You didn't play Modern Warfare 2. You did not. You got here late. I'm sorry. There was a bitchin' party the last night. There was probably a good party you came to. But last night's party was better. And Black Ops was just... You could tell this was the first attempt for Treyarch. Was it their first Call of Duty game? No, no, no. Like, you know, there's War That War. There's Call of Duty 3. This isn't their first rodeo, but at the same time, like, this is the first time that they try to get out from Infinity Ward's shadow and do their own thing. And it's very apparent because this move, this movie, this video game is just a hodgepodge of, you know what? No, I'm not even going to cut out the fact that I said movie because this game just rips so many things from movies. Like, it, they go into deer hunter territory. They, it, it bothered me so fucking much that there are, <sighs> look, just ban sympathy for the devil and banned the other Vietnam song. All right, uh, some folks born made away the flag. Ban it, ban it. We are never allowed to use that song or the Rolling Stones. Please let me introduce myself. Ban them. Ban yeah. both songs. You are never allowed to use them in any context ever again. It's done. Honestly, I should have probably thrown away my disc so I can be in solidarity with the idea of banning these two songs. You are never allowed to use them again. If you do it, you're probably Suicide Squad and you're already garbage. Like Black Ops is not great. It's competent. It feels like it has a lot of cool ideas and it just has no idea how to execute on them. The whole idea that you're there and you're being interrogated through past missions. The funny thing is that there are literal moments where the game has the person interrogating you like, Mason, what do the numbers mean? What happened in Cuba? And the your main character is like, oh man, in Cuba we did this. And there's like, you actually have the person interrogating you going, 
damn it, we're losing him. And it's so fucking funny to me because even the missions themselves are not supposed to be happening in the game because the person interrogating, he's like, no, don't you go into a flashback. Oh, fuck, you went into a flashback. Great. Now we have to wait until you come back and ask you more questions. Like, the actual story... Mason is probably telling these stories and the person interrogating is like, no, I just need you to get to the point. Why are you telling me all this extraneous bullshit? Like, yeah, I was walking around and then I pulled a gun and I shot this dude and then I grabbed some grenades and I died. Wait, no, I didn't die. And now we got another grenade and I threw the grenade and ah, shit, I missed a quick time event. I, I didn't mean, I mean, I didn't miss the quick time event. Let me just like, I'm picturing how the missions fit in the story. And even the story doesn't want the missions there, which is fucking hilarious to me. Like, that's the only notable thing I can say, because everything else just felt like, yeah, we just want a mission in Vietnam now. Uh, we want a mission through the streets of Korea down. Like, uh, it just felt like they kept throwing a hodgepodge of ideas to be like, it's Cold War now. But at the same time, it kind of makes me sad because there were enough cool ideas in the way that they presented it where... There are some missions where it's literally just walking through, and I have no problem with that. I'm not going to complain that, you know, like, ah, it's just a mission walking through. Why are you not shooting stuff? Because anytime that Call of Duty can kind of slow up and tell you not to shoot things is really good. Because, like, I'm thinking of Alt Gilead Up. This game has, like, a couple of minutes of, like, Alt Gilead Up a little bit where the game kind of tells you to slow down. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this. You're telling me to kind of calm down a little. I like this. But the presentation in that one mission where you're just walking through and you go visit JFK, they do have you in first person sequences and they actually do have some pretty cool tricks where you do actually have to walk through, but it's kept in first person that you don't realize you're not in control. The game is just going to walk you through. And even then it still has cool editing tricks where you think you're actually in control, but you're not. And then it'll shift over. You'll have voiceover and the camera will start jumping around. Like, ah, this is actually really cool presentation shit. Like this is cool. This is good. But that's, those were brief instances of brilliance that the game never really came forward with. Like it's not good. If anyone's out here like, Oh man, call of duty black ops is so good. You're filled with nostalgia. Go play Modern Warfare 2 instead. Okay. I have to admit, you have spoken more about COD in that moment than I have in literal years. <laughs> but I will say I will say your point about the peak years being the, you know, COD 4, um, World at War, and Modern Warfare 2 definitely resonates with me. Um, World at War, I think, generally isn't the most highly regarded um, installment, but it will always have respect for me for introducing the zombies mode. So. Oh. Okay. All right. Fine, 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 fine. If we're going to talk campaigns, everything I said is true. If we're including zombies in the mix, Black Ops is in the gold age. Like, okay. fucking Kino. Kino Der Oten is phenomenal. I am very much a boomer of zombies where just give me a circle to run around and shoot shit. I don't need anything complicated. That's all I want. So Kino is perfect because that's all it is. It's just a circle. You have the pack-a-punch. You have the dogs. You have the little crawling things. Like, all of that is just good shit that all I want. And then afterwards, they got really crazy where they're like, oh, look, it's going to be a fucking maze. And at this point, you're going to be hunting down the Easter eggs more than actually just killing zombies. I'm like, ah, oh, you kind of lost me. So I, if we're going from just not from the campaign standpoint, 
I feel like Zombies pulls the entire game up enough that it's considered in Golden Age, even though I still think that the multiplayer is a step down. Of course, that's memory because I'm not going to fucking play multiplayer now. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the COD multiplayer has, as far as I'm concerned, become a meme for me at this point. So I, I have nothing. I have nothing to say on that. <laughs> uh, so are we good to wrap it up here? Yeah. Okay, uh, Black Ops. Uh, I'm going to give it a year high out of 10 if you think the campaign is good. Um, uh, zombies, though, be good, though. Zombies be good, though, and I still love... Oh, actually, you know what? I need to say something nicer as well. I'm going to explain it and then give the second score. The fact that the campaign ends and you find out that Mason is the person who killed JFK is always going to be hilarious to me. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they show footage of JFK leaving. They show him in the top-down, and they reverse the footage, and then they just fucking added your character in the crowd. And then it hits that music sting, and you're like, are you seriously implying that my character killed JFK? Okay. All right. Fine. So that was fucking hilarious. But then after that, the game ends with... I think Castro, someone McNamara. I can't remember what. It's maybe oh, Secretary. Robert, Secret, Secretary of Defense. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So it ends with him, JFK, Castro, and Nixon, and it turns into a zombies map, and that shit is always funny to me. And being able to play as JFK killing zombies will never <laughs> not be funny to me. Oh like, my god. That, oh, what is it? Oh my god. Forgive your enemies, but don't forget their faces. I think I vaguely recall the advertising for that now that you mention it. <laughs> that is... God. So yeah, uh, my first score was you're high out of 10 if you think this game is Golden Age for the campaign, but it's also a JFK blasting zombies while spouting <laughs> out one-liners in his Bostonian accent out of 10 if you want to consider zombies. Yeah, I think my review is um, the campaign, they all look the same to me. And then the zombies is, uh, I don't know, ask not what your zombies can do for you, but what you can do for your zombies out of 10. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. I toss it to games for you. Okay, my next game is uh, Hades. Um, it is a game that I have played. I, I made a good, really good run through it a little while back, but I've recently just been picking it up um, occasionally when it's like, oh, if I'm in a funk or I maybe don't have a lot of time. I'll pick it up and play it. Um, if you complete a run, it should take, oh, geez, I don't know, anywhere roughly a half hour, I want to say, give or take hmm. five or ten minutes from beginning to end. It's very good. It is, you know, not to not to go a little bit in the Wayback Machine, but I think as compared to Returnal, it is much more well-polished and well-structured in terms of a design philosophy um, and the sense of progression within the game. I think if you... Um, lift the progression and the structure of Hades and you match the 3d um, shooty shoot of Returnal, you have really an all timer mm -hmm. um, of a real roguelike. It is an excellent game. I think it really deserves all the accolades. My only criticism is the story is definitely very padded out. I think the story is interesting. The various characters that you interact with, there's obviously the father son dynamic at the core of it. I think I've completed, I want to say six runs and I still have a pretty good ways to go in terms of completing um, the main thrust of the story. Mm -hmm. um, it is good. The music is is banging. I know there may be another present company here who likes music in games. Mm -hmm. um, 
it is excellent. The art style is um, is very, very catchy and pops. Combat is very fun. Uh, and the good thing about this game is that even if you die, there's still a sense of progression. It's always giving you, offering you new items, new senses of progression, new buffs, um, etc. So it's just very highly recommended. It is currently on um, PC and Switch. It is coming to PlayStation, I believe, in August. And it is not coming anywhere else after that. So, uh, of course, I feel like I have to mention it. I think it's also going to be a YouTube video that they add on whatever Game Pass is. So you can hold your controller and pretend like you're playing it. Yeah, and I think I think the soundtrack is on Spotify. So I, I highly recommend the soundtrack. Um, it is... The music is kind of hard to explain. There's a lot of different influences. Um, you definitely get those like really frenetic, more metal-focused like you would find in Doom. Um, but you also get more softer, melodic stuff. So it's... It's a very uh, dynamic and versatile soundtrack, and the game is just um, the game is just excellent. I think even if it's a case of where I'm not really into roguelikes or road lights, whatever you want to call them, but this one uh, definitely hit the spot for me. So I would I would recommend it to anyone to give it a shot. Okay. So now the one thing I do have to ask because I've always been curious to get the full story. How many times are you really running through? Like I don't even mean like okay. So I don't even uh, mean I... like full. Full on, full on. I just mean like I can stop here and I feel like everything else is probably gonna be diminishing returns. Um I don't know because I think it's a case of where it answers some questions, but it mm-hmm. leaves you with a couple of more. And the spot I'm at now, it's oddly enough, it wants me going back because the developments and the revelations mm-hmm. have made the potential for the story grow even more to where I am intrigued i i do want to say that i almost want to look up spoilers that if there is um i will say that i will look up spoilers and if there is an actual additional gameplay in terms of levels or villains then i probably will drop it and just look up entire story spoilers okay so then Um, how many runs are you through already i am through six runs and i i want to say i'm I want to say I'm past halfway through the story, but like I said, when you complete a run, it's, I want to say roughly a half hour. Um, again, it can vary from person to person, not very long. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, when you unlock weapons, you permanently unlock them and can grab them, grab whatever weapon you want before a run. Uh, you can switch out some buffs when you beat the game. Once you can raise like the heat level, which is like the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like the prestige level, the intensity. You know, you can set the difficulty of enemies, the number of enemies. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's just, I think it's a fantastic game. Support Supergiant, they really haven't made a bad game yet. I liked Bastion. I still need to play Pyre. I need to complete Transistor, um, but they they haven't missed. And I cannot wait to see what they come up with next. All right. Now, I know I'm just going to get to this eventually. I liked Returnal, and that's the name that people tend to evoke whenever they talk about Hades. And yeah, they are, and because they are the two most prominent um, roguelikes, I think Hades yeah. is definitely more of an actual um, roguelike, which is part of you know, again, not to not to go into the wayback machine, but it's part of mm-hmm. my issue with Returnal is uh, it feels very unfocused at times in terms of structure mm-hmm. and progression, mm-hmm. um, where I think Hades has refined all of that i think it's it's more not in terms of age mature but it's more i think it's more mature game developers who have more have more of a clear vision of what they wanted to make all right i'm not going to try and refute any of that i'm going to try and keep focused on yeah on go, Hades. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, oh, that's the thing because I like I can see us spinning into talking about Returnal. Like, no, exactly, and I, I didn't want to do that. But yeah, they are they are certainly the two by far the two most prominent. I think roguelikes of recent memory. So I really, really love Hades. It's and again, the the genre is not my jam, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just think it's excellent. Yeah, Hades. I think I might get to. I don't know. That's the thing. I'm barely getting to Supergiant. I played like an hour of maybe not even an hour. It was probably less of Bastion. And I was like, oh, this is actually hitting the right tone that I want. And then I bought a physical copy from Limited Run Games on PS4. And the copy's just still sitting there. I'm wondering at what point I play it. But like, I, I've bought it. Okay. I yo-hoed it on switch and i liked it enough so i was like okay cool i'll buy it because that's what my switch is like my switch is my sampling machine if i can get it on different consoles so i bought it on ps4 and i got the physical and then i heard that the playstation store was going down which didn't happen and i dropped a whole bunch of money and i was like well i mean that's fine i is bastion on here is there any chance i want to play it on vita yeah, I'll buy it anyways. So now I have two different avenues of play of how to play it, and like I still haven't done it. So I'm probably not gonna want to jump to their latest game because I don't want to realize that oh, you guys have kind of a core that you keep building off on. I don't want to jump to the end and then have it be jarring when I go back. So I know I will get to it. I just know I will. Yeah, again, I I highly recommend it. I certainly it's wonderful. Hades. Uh, I'll get to it at I'll get to it out of ten. Yeah, Hades is um usually not my jam, but um very, very addicting out of ten. Okay. So now Poot, I really have only one game left. I feel like since we can both share that topic, go ahead and just start running through so we can get there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I, I can get through the rest of these pretty quickly. Um Dishonored I've barely dipped my toe into. Mm-hmm. Um I like it a lot. It's a little bit different than I thought it was gonna be, but in a good way. I think it's it appears that there's very clearly defined levels. Right? Yep. Correct. Yeah, which I, I think is good. It's like it's it allows it to be more digestible. I was afraid it was gonna be very open worldy, um, which I like. The the outsider stuff is very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um it does a very good job of progression, which I like. It's causing me to warm up to Arcane some more so uh i'll eventually get back to it and i'll get to a dishonored too so yeah that's basically in dishonored my dishonored score um pleasantly surprised with arcane out of 10 okay uh dishonored uh i really like dishonored one it's still the only arcane game i like uh dishonored two for me was something that i was like okay yeah this is just more and for some reason it wasn't clicking as well uh the best thing that i had in Dishonored 2 was that there was an actual riddle that is randomized in the game so you can't just look up the answer and i took it upon myself to figure out the riddle and i loved that one piece of Dishonored 2 so much that it soured my opinion on the rest of the game because i had more fun figuring out an actual riddle in real life for the game than playing the game i don't think Dishonored 2 is bad i think it's just that i didn't want it now Dishonored 1 I was very positive on it. I liked it. The ending kind of soured me because it just felt like it just ends. And I was like, oh, this is like a very video game ending where it just ends. Dishonored 1, I still like it very much. The one thing I will tell you, Poot, is if you have a target, do not kill them. Figure out the non-lethal way because it is, um, they're a treat. Okay, I will keep that in mind. I think I'm most of the way through the first level. So that's very good that you pointed it out. I was aware that there are, um, you know, I think, at least two different endings based on how lethal you are versus how um, not lethal. So I still have no yeah, idea I will, the difference. I, I don't know. That's just what I was told. I try to, you know, like I said, I try to look up, not look up spoilers. So I will try to be more patient. Again, stealth isn't my thing, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. So 
the it's a good payoff. It's a good payoff. Um, okay. uh, Dishonored. I'm gonna give it a the only time Arcane's ever spoken to me out of ten. Okay. Yeah, and I think I, I gave it. Um, Arcane hasn't traditionally been my thing, as well as stealth. But I'm I'm enjoying it out of ten. Damn, we have two sides of the coin with the same <laughs> with the same score. Okay, going on. Continue. Okay, the Pathless. Um, very good. I was pleasantly surprised by it um i really really enjoyed the boss battles the music oh good goodness gracious his name is austin wintry i think is yes. the composer. Yes. Yeah, he is he is rapidly moving up my list between abzu and the pathless yes um his music is very very ethereal it is all about atmosphere uh, which i love which are great for both of those games my only downside to the pathless is some of the various areas uh, began to start of feel and look the same except for the very last area which yeah. i don't want to go into for spoilers um and i didn't and thus i really didn't feel compelled to be more completionist and explore more of the world um, i enjoyed the puzzles my low-key favorite part um not low-key low favorite part of it was the kinetic gameplay throughout the world was not combat focused it was all traversal and there really wasn't much in the way of actual combat. I mean, the boss battles were, but you were more freeing them than uh, anything else. Yeah, the boss battles are the highlight. Um, it's very atmospheric in terms of your, you know, traversing around this mostly barren world. Um, it reminded me a lot of Breath of the Wild. I can feel safe in saying that here. Yes, no um, Canadians here. Yeah, there's no Canadian uh, heretics here. Um <laughs> Yeah, it pleasantly surprised me. I just, again, I just kind of wish I had uh, wanted to explore the world more. So yeah, very, very enjoyable atmospheric uh, out of 10. This is the first time it's ever been where I've looked and gone, I've talked about that. Am I going to repeat myself? No, I'm going to do the podcast thing where I just refer you to that episode. Damn. You, oh my God. You go. You've already oh. said your piece. Damn, look at me. I've already been doing this shit long enough that I can say that. I, Damn. I want to actually want to update my score. Uh, mm. I need to change it. Uh, yes. Um, arrow shooting never um, never gets stale out of 10. Correct. That's a good one. Yes. The one thing I will say to comment on this is that you said Austin Wintry for Abzu and the Pathless. Poot, yes. you're fucking up by not playing Journey. Oh, I already played Journey. Yeah, oh, my that, goodness. That was Oh, that was him too. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Okay. I completely forgot about journey. Cause I think, uh, I don't know why. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Further reinforcing my point. The guy is absolutely one to watch. Um, his music is absolutely ethereal and is all about atmosphere and enhances, um, the games that you play in with the common theme of them, mostly being barren and he makes them feel lively, which is a testament <laughs> to how good he is. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just. You said Baron, and one of my fun facts is that he did an Assassin's Creed game. Oh, uh, I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> we all need a paycheck. We all need a paycheck. Yeah, I mean, get that, get that Ubi money. Why not? Right. I'm not exactly. Grudge someone. Look, one of the things that we always say is get that paycheck here. We're always just ready to see if someone sells out. We're not going to give you shit for it. Get your paycheck. Get your money. Yeah, his his Ubisoft scores walk, so his giant squid scores could run. So, <laughs> well, his his journey score crawled, so he can get kicked in the face by his Ubi score. So oh, then... that's just. Well, I'm glad he was able to still do good stuff uh, after that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, uh, so, the Pathless. I give it an Austin Wintry out of ten. That's a good score too. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, carry on. Is there anything else from here? Or? Um, yeah, I have really quickly. I have Plague Tale. Um, it's very good. It, that's one you haven't played either, have you? Yeah, I'm just going to get my score ahead and just say that I'm not going to comment on this one. I'm going to give it a it's, a... it's on PlayStation Plus out of 10, so I'll get to it eventually out of 10. Yeah, it's it's very, very good. My elevator pitch for it is that um, Diet The Last of Us is still very good. This was another one that pleasantly surprised me. Um, I will say, for me, it has one of the best payoffs that is simultaneously a micro payoff and a macro payoff. And that is what I will say. It is The payoff is so satisfying, and it's wonderful... Um, it suffers from what a lot of games suffer for. They don't really know how to end in terms of the boss battle is, eh. but the entire experience from beginning to end, um, was very, very good. Again, it gave me, like I said, it gave me a lot of last of us vibes down to, oh, we're going to stumble upon the occasional workbench in, uh, you know, 1200s, uh, (laughs) because that's, that's the way games are, but yeah, you can definitely see the last of us inspirations, um, I will also say it has one of the best collectibles, which are flowers, which I will not spoil. Um, very tender moment. Um, it is very good. I am even more excited now that a sequel got announced and is happening. And yeah, my score is again, Diet Last of Us is still very good out of 10. Okay. All right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm abstaining. I already gave my scores. We're, we're, we're trying okay, to get last one. Go yeah, for it. Last one. Last one. It takes two. Uh, I kind of hate that I won't feel like rushed, but this no, is No, no, no. Actually, you know what? It, it takes two. Take all the time you need. Okay. It takes two. Um, right off the bat is my game of the year. Um, without question yes Um, this is one of the most enjoyable gaming experiences I have had in literal years and not just because it was co-op and it was because I enjoyed the company of the person I played with Um, Sean you're a wonderful person Sean Mason you're a great person yes the the bake uh, the bake king as we call him absolutely yeah he he bakes confections in the kitchen and I bake them on the discord so it's it's a good it was a good co-op partnership Mm. Um, yeah it is it is a wonderful experience I know some people tend to hate on the developer joseph ferris because he had the audacity to say fuck the oscars which is accurate yes accurate i mean he speaks for the people you know as far as i'm concerned look Um, fuck the oscars okay they they were acknowledged crash ever since crash yes exactly we're on the same page we are we are of like mind ever since crash i noped out of that crap so Hmm. um yeah the, the brilliance of the game is it is constantly not not just introducing new mechanics but it is dispensing with the old mechanics and the old levels and nothing really overstays its welcome. Um, it does so many unique things with mechanics and physics, and it implements uh, a lot of variety of household items. Um, and everything is geared towards telling the story and further informing the characters. Um, and it has a very emotional impact at the end. And uh, not to go into spoilers, but the preface is that two um, parents are going through a divorce. And I myself have never experienced a divorce, thankfully. Um, but it is just wonderful. And I will say the emotional payoff is wonderful. It has one of the most horrifying moments I've ever experienced in a game. Hmm. Um, it is. And yes, that's all I will say. You'll know it when you get to it. Um, it is horrifying. Um, I do not want to invoke the name of a certain um, animated movie developer that is famous, but it is. It, it goes into a pretty adult, intense direction that I was that I was shocked by, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening right now." Wait, throw out um, their name because I actually didn't have it pop in my head. Pixar. Oh, oh, yes, oh, yeah. Oh. Like how Pixar just has these very serious, sudden adult moments that maybe it could be like moments of revelation for a character or a character is being taught a lesson, but this is a very brutal moment uh i will say that 
is kind of comes out of nowhere, but it builds up to the sense, this point of escalation to where you're like, wait, this isn't actually going to be happening. Right. And they go through with it. And I was stunned. Um, among okay. many other points in this movie, uh, excuse me, this game. Um, okay, you had is... me thinking that it was an individual, so I was like, "What individual name in animation out there?" Like, I was like, "It's just Miyazaki." Oh I don't know. no, no, I think I think I said I think I said animation company, didn't I? I, I don't. Oh remember. no, you probably did. You probably did. Okay, yeah, I think I, it's just that my mind went in the wrong direction. I, I try to avoid uh, overused memes at this point because you know it's it's like Pixar is a meme, right? Yeah, but that's um, the thing. I think this one you can get away with because most people are just talking about animation fidelity. Like you actually talked about the core of what a Pixar movie tends to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's it it does hit it does hit those points. It has nothing to do with graphical um, fidelity, which I think it actually received a next gen update recently. Uh, but I, I don't I don't care about that shit. I think graphical fidelity is overrated. Um, mm-hmm. And this, if if you have anyone, if if you're anyone that you know is interested in games, a significant other, I would highly recommend this one. It is very forgiving. If you die, you just like immediately respawn within the vicinity. Uh, even if you die during a boss battle, you like immediately respawn. It's very forgiving. Um, it is just a wonderful experience, and I would, without question, definitely consider replaying it with someone else who hasn't played it before. Uh, it is a wonderful experience from beginning to end. The only reservations, there's a couple of. There's a flying sequence that I wasn't kind of crazy about. You know, you bring up like turn radiuses and flying sequences. Eh. Um, and there's, I think some of the real grinding tends to overstay its welcome. But other than that, it is just, it is just an immaculate experience. And I almost kind of feel bad because I do not know how Hazelight are going to, um, are going to uh, develop uh, this game at this height again, much less surpass it. Um I really don't know what more I can say. Um, I don't use this word very often, but I think it is a masterpiece out of 10. Ooh, okay. Yes. I'm going to keep it brief because I'm going to get to it eventually because everyone yes. has praised this to high heaven that I'm going to get to it. I mean, the idea of a married couple who's going through a divorce and has to figure out how to get that back together, that sounds up my alley with enough emotional oppression that I'm in. The other thing I mentioned is, no, no, hold on. I'm not going to mention it. I'm just going to make it my score. Uh, my score of It Takes Two is I still have a copy of A Way Out sitting somewhere. Uh, so I'm going to get to that first out of 10. Okay. Yeah. And I think the esteemed Sean and I are eventually going to get to a way out soon. So I hope the, even though we're playing it backwards, hopefully the law of diminishing returns doesn't impact us too greatly. So, I mean, you're so. going to be playing with Sean. Like Sean's a good man. Like you guys are going to still have fun regardless. Yeah. The, the, the biggest compliment I can give Sean is I, I enjoyed his company despite his uh, myriad of kingdom hearts references. <laughs> okay. The one thing I will say is play brothers, a tale of two sons. If you have I, a sibling, I, absolutely. Okay, yes, I, I downloaded that on Steam, of course. I think it was on sale. Mm-hmm. So I will definitely play that. And that one does not, you said you confirmed it does not require co-op, correct? It's just... Correct. Uh, play okay. on a controller, please, for the love of God. I have no idea how that would work on keyboard. Play on controller. Yes, I have Yeah, I have a controller that I will play it on PC. And yes, I am an, I am an older brother and I am an older sibling, so I'm sure it will crush me and I will, I will curse you. I was a younger sibling, and it was played around the time that my brother was getting married. So it was when he was basically about to move out. And I was like, wow, this was really perfect timing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I suspect it will. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, that's that for games, I assume, on your end, or do you have anything else? 
I that is it for games. Okay, bouncing back. Doom Eternal. I rip and tear until it is done. Poot, I toss it over to you. Uh, you have nothing else to say in the moment? I don't think I have any... Do I need to say anything did you, else? Did you, you played 2016, right? Yes, of course. And if I had to talk about Doom 2016, my entire thing that I would say would be rip and tear. Yeah, I will say Doom Eternal is a borderline perfect sequel to Doom 2016 yes. in that it expands upon everything. And what, what I realized the brilliance of this game that I was further and further away from it and I've heard you know other people talk about it as they play it is that this game has the confidence to tell you, no, this is the specific way you are going yes. to play this game. You are going to do what I've come to call the Doom Dance. Yes. And that they're telling you, this is what you're going to do this is how you are going to do it, and we are and our dicks are so long, and the, their dick pendulum swings um, so widely that we are going to make it work seamlessly. You know, you you will have to use all of your de- equipment at your disposal. You will eventually be forced to use nearly all of your weapons, um, depending on how good you are at the various kills, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, you will have to get up close to the grill for the glory kills to get armor or health or ammo or whatever. And um, we are so good. We are going to funnel you into playing it the way that we want you to play. And we know it's good. And that's it. Um, I still need to get to the DLC. It is one of the best first-person shooters that I have played in uh, in years. Um, I There's nothing really else I have to say. Anyone who hasn't played Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal, if you have a problem with Rip then have you tried tearing? And if you have a problem with tearing, have you tried ripping? Now, if you have a problem with ripping and tearing, there is nothing I can do to help you. I don't know what is wrong with you. It might be a mental deficiency. If you talk to your doctor and see if they can give you some pills and if they recommend you Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal, I think that that is the first, first way to start trying to figure out a pathway to become a healthier person. Rip and tear until it is done. Yeah, that is rip and tear, I think, is the true um, duality of man, without question. It's, it's, it taps into man's most primal instincts, I think. And whether that's, you know, ripping a... Oh, geez, I forget the name of, the, uh, of that specific creature. Cacodemon, the Cacodemon. Oh, yes, Cacodemon. Yes, you rip the eye of the Cacodemon or you just, you know, you hammer fist a, uh, a basic demon's head through his chest cavity, you know. It's, and he just looks up at you like, why would you do this to me? Yes, he looks up at you like a helpless puppy dog as his lifeless corpse collapses. It's a brilliantly designed game. The last level is, it is a symphony of slaughter. The music just gets you pumped up every time. Yeah. It is immaculate. The The last boss battle is, eh, but again, like, I, I don't know how you, I, I don't know how you cap off a game that insanely good with like a, a big culmination, perfect boss battle. Like, I don't know how it's going to live up to the rest of the game, but the final level overall is just immaculate. It is wonderful. And it's kind of a case like with, it takes two. It's like, can they top this? I don't know. I have faith in it to give it the college try next time. And I can't wait to see what they come up with, but yeah, it's wonderful. I can't wait to get to the DLC. Yeah. I have nothing else. My score is, Oh, what is my score? Oh, we um, all know there's one score. We all yeah. know there's one rip score. Rip and tear. 
Until do you want to say done. rip and tear out of 10? And I'll say until it is done out of 10. Mm-hmm. All right. Now yes. we're going to end like that on, on this topic. We're going to end this topic right there. Now I'm going to go ahead and jump to say what I was going to continue to say so far. I am like five levels in. I still haven't gotten to the Marauder. So we'll get there and we'll cross oh, that bridge. I'm playing I... on the hard difficulty, not the hardest. Um, I know that okay. there's the extra two levels above that where they don't really count it, where I think there's like Ultra Nightmare and then there's the One Life. Look, those are there. And we're... I'm on hard. I don't fucking know what you call it. Shut it. And then there's very hard super hard and then one life which i'm never going to do so i'm playing on hard and i will determine if i want the dlc by the time that i get to like maybe the last three levels because if i buy it afterwards there's no way i'm coming back ever. yeah yeah i totally get that even someone like myself who who bought like the big deluxe version i still have yet to get to the dlc um i think i was i waited long enough to where i was waiting for the next gen patch so the next gen patch is out um so that's good uh i you know, I, I see a lot of other people playing it right now and they have in the recent past. So it's definitely gotten me that itch. Um, so yeah, I can't wait to get back to it and see what further insanity they have in store for me. So of course my score is rip and tear out of 10. What's your score? My score is, uh, until it is done out of 10. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. All right. Rip and tear. Okay. That's all the games. And I realized we completely skipped over TV. So it's time for my veggies. Go for it. Okay, TV. Uh, you want me to just go through my first one? Oh, I have nothing for TV, so you're driving. Oh, you have nothing for TV? Okay, good. My TV is going to be short and sweet. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, this is not going to change anyone's opinion about the Marvel stuff. It's six episode. It's very oddly paced. I'm not sure what their overall approach is. It felt like they cut out two or three episodes. Probably my favorite episode of the season really was honestly the more slower moving one. The ending, the payoff wasn't really all that good. It felt like TV, um, a medium that went from movies to TV and not in a good way. It felt like diet uh, MCU. And that's saying as someone who followed, you know, the entire MCU pretty heavily, it's definitely skippable if you're, if you're not even remotely into the Marvel stuff. Loki, what I will give credit for Loki is that it actually does have a somewhat different look to it um, in some aspects. There is kind of a, the interior design of a lot of the uh, interior areas that Loki spends time in are very 70s inspired to the look, to a lot of the assets that they're using, etc. And that's another one where it has, for me, it's kind of devolved into the typical Marvel stuff. You felt like you've seen this before and and everything else and it's it's kind of devolved i haven't seen the pilot yet or excuse me the finale which i think aired not aired but uh it's uh it's okay we can today. still say aired if people can still say roll aired, up windows when yeah, no one's been know. rolling things I, up I anymore like, i feel like a boomer with like an old tube tv or something but <laughs> yeah the finale here today i'm not overly eager to to get to it I, in fact i've had friends text me mixed reactions it definitely took a step back for me despite some plot revelations which i thought were cool uh, mostly just devolves to the mean. Um, Loki, is, the score is like, oh, it had some good things going out of 10. We'll get to the next one. It's it's Invincible. This is another one that... Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, just because of the way that I structure the show, I do want to comment on the two Marvel shows. Hey, okay, go anyone ahead. who jumped to the timestamp because you thought I was going to talk Marvel, too fucking bad. Move on. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Good. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Like I said, they're they're mostly they're both mostly forgettable. But anyway, I know um, it's just that I know that there's going to be family members or cousins who are listening to you right now, just like 
did he just really do that? You suck. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm not doing it, guys. This is the old. I hope you saw the timestamp and thought, oh, good. He's finally going to talk about it. No, I'm not. I have Disney Plus for four years, and I still probably watched less than like five hours on it. Okay. Ha. Listen, Disney Plus is an underrated Nat Geo uh, streaming app. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm always going to have something against Disney Plus because that's the main reason why they don't release physical copies. So, hey, maybe Master and Commander is going to come out there in 4K. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that would be something. I actually thought of that when we were discussing. Like, doesn't technically, don't they own that now? Like, I don't know. Um, but Can't anyway, wait for yeah. horrible Hulu streaming to have Master and Commander. Oh, Hulu. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't remember the last time I fired up Hulu. Um, Hulu's got some good shows, all right? They have all of FX. Yeah, don't they have Rick and Morty still? I think so, but like, <sighs> I, I never, I never got into that show. That I, we, I digress. I don't want to go on off on a tangent, um, but like, I hate Rick and Morty. I liked one entire episode, and I watched all four seasons. Yeah, Rick and Morty is another case of where I'm a really hard sell on a comedy. Like Archer, yeah. I watched another ones I watched uh, a yep. little bit in spurts. Archer's Funny, great. Like, yeah, Archer's great. Um, but anyway, yeah, my next one is Invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing going for this show is that is oddly enough the vocal performances. Mm-hmm. Um, the J.K. Simmons again, like he does he ever do wrong? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, period. J.K. Simmons, Walton Goggins are in the show, and the that's the good thing is that the cast is really good, and the bad thing is is that that's where they spent a lot of the money. The animation it literally looks like a children's show when you when you fire it up and you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. It is mature, but it's not nihilistic in the way that The Boys is. Um, it deals with a lot more genuine kind of coming of age stuff. Young adults, you know, age, you're graduating college, or excuse me, graduating high school, going into college. Young college years, you're still trying to figure out yourself, etc. The The ending of the pilot is very um, notable. I'm not going to spoil it here, but mm-hmm. it definitely takes a pretty hard pivot. And for me, the payoff of um, why that happens is not, it wasn't all that good. Um, what is good about the show is that it is violent, but again, it's not a nihilistic way. It's not necessarily played up for humor. It is actually realistic in that, okay, if these super power people punched each other or punched average humans, yeah, they're going to be like literally punching through bodies and, and blowing up people's skulls. Yeah. It's not like the Marvel thing where they hit someone with a hammer and they just go flying and there's no blood or hardly anything, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good show. The vocal performances are very good. It's a very easy watch. Um, there's a couple of episodes that are kind of clunkers. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. I would say if you're not into superhero stuff, I would say maybe give it a chance because... Um, of the vocal performances, J.K. Simmons is great. Uh, the Stephen Yoon from Walking Dead is very good. He's very good at playing this um, really vulnerable kid with lack of confidence. And honestly, what I just reminded, what I really wanted to point out, what surprised me the most is actually um, there's a lot of licensed tracks used in the show that are actually really good, which was mm-hmm. surprising. I actually really liked them, oddly enough. Actually, a lot better than Marvel, now that I think of it. Very, very good. There's a couple of really catchy songs that I hadn't heard of from Bam, from bands that I haven't heard of. So I saved them. Um, it's very good. I think my score is J.K. Simmons drives the show out of 10. Good move. Okay, that, that's one I can respect. Uh, Invincible. Uh, look, I'm kind of sick of superheroes. Uh, the Boys is something that I didn't really get into. Watchmen is probably the last superhero thing that I liked. 
excluding the top tier shit. So like think as Spider Verse, Logan, uh, Endgame really didn't speak to me, nor did the newest Spider Man movie. And it's not like I care about anything for the X Men within like the last half decade. So should I watch Invincible? I would say if you're not into superhero stuff, I don't think it's going to change your opinion. So keep in mind, like I'm just sick of it from a baseline point. But if it is just good shit where it just so happens to be superheroes, I can still probably make an exception. I don't know because I think the clunker episodes are kind of near the middle end. Hmm. So I would say I would say give it a shot. The first, like I said, the first episode ends like with a freaking insane scene that i'm not going to spoil i would say the vocal performances drive the show so that's what i would say kind of keep in the back of your mind as you continue watching the show if you want to stick with it but other than that there's nothing really outstanding about it aside from again the vocal performances for me okay so for example mr robot if someone watches the very first scene and if they like it i tell them that's that if you like that first scene and if you like the pilot stick with it that is emblematic of the entire show that if you need to sum up the show the pilot and the first scene are pretty much good ways to do that is there a certain cutoff point for invincible where would you say the first episode is a good point of if you enjoyed that stick with it um i would say the first episode is the first scene is is not good i will say that it literally hmm feels like a i don't know like a tv what is that rating like a y7 not even a tv 14 mm-hmm. um honestly that's okay with me because i'm pretty sure that the whole art style is supposed to be subversive where you're like oh it just feels like a saturday morning cartoon oh my god yeah you get to the ending yeah yeah when you get to the when you get to the ending scene that is certainly the case uh, i would say yeah the, the ending of the first episode i think certainly hooked me where it's like okay i'm kind of curious and again i will say that the payoff for me was kind of like, eh, okay, it seems a little bit conventional. But again, J.K. Simmons does such a good job that he sells it. The last couple of episodes are pretty insane. Uh, I'm still torn on how excited I am for a season two, depending on where they take it, because they leave it very open-ended without spoilers. So I think if nothing else, it's an easy watch. Like I said, it doesn't require a lot of your time. I don't think the episodes are really more than 35, 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah, that my favorite character is probably his, I guess she's kind of his girlfriend, friend. I don't know what she is by the end of the episode. She's played by Jillian Jacobs. She's not, she hasn't been in very much stuff, but she's probably my favorite character. Oh yeah, and the, and the main character, Steven Yoon, he's like always getting his ass beat. So that's pretty funny to watch. So Okay, so uh, I think I might skip it. I, it doesn't I, count. I, I, that's what, that's what I, for, for you, I would honestly recommend it. Like I said, like I always say, there's way too much stuff to watch and play to, and it'll always be there on Amazon Prime anyway, right? Like it's not gonna go anywhere. So no, but I mean, like there's always that ethereal list of yeah, I might get that to someday. I don't think I even want to put it on there because it doesn't sound like it's doing enough to justify the time itself. Because that's the thing. Like I'm very picky. Like I, like you said, there's so much shit that I don't know if I'd even want to dedicate the slight mental memory to remember. That's an option. Yeah, I think I literally binged the entire um, season over a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in two to three spurts. Like I said, it wasn't too much of a time demand, and like uh. It was good, but again, there was nothing. There was nothing memorable about it except um, the vocal performances. I mean, just J.K. Simmons just being a boss and and um, setting everyone straight and yelling at people and being a badass. 
that's never uh, a bad time. But outside of that, it's it's nothing to really write home about. I think it definitely, I would say it mostly got overhyped for me. So I, I don't, it's not something that I would really recommend to you. It definitely don't prioritize it. So. Okay. Fair enough. Then yeah, it's going to be a skip. Uh, that's that's yeah. what we got. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was the episode. Poot, uh, how was it for you? Um, it was good. I have have you? I have Queen's Gambit. It's the only thing I have left. Oh shit! I'm trying to end this episode early. Go, move on. Uh, go, go, have go. You, have you Ignore seen? That. Have you seen? Have you seen Queen's Gambit? I've seen nothing. I'm pretty sure we're gonna do the little look of Anya Taylor Joy. Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, I mean, yeah. Do I? Do I need to? I, I don't think I need to comment anymore. But but no, we're we're just giving her the, she, the look. She's, yeah, she's she's yeah she's she's one of my crushes straight up. I will admit that. Um, and in addition to that, she has a very unique screen presence. The screen just I think gravitates toward her no matter correct where she is at it on the screen. The show is very very good. It's very well crafted. I would highly recommend it. I think you will like it. It does the chess stuff very well. I'm kind of like eh about chess. I don't I don't especially like it. I don't really hate it. It is very good. Uh, it's very well acted. It's very well written. It does not overstay its welcome, which was the important thing. It is a miniseries, so it's very digestible. It is one of the low-key better things that I've watched. And like with like with Social Network, it's not really about... Like that movie's not really about Facebook, right? And this movie's... Or this miniseries is not about chess. It's about really one specific type of person, in this case, a young woman kind of making her way and navigating through, I believe it's 1950s and she is an orphan. So that's another aspect in how she navigates that entire world and upbringing through the uh, kind of through the prism of competitive chess. Uh, I believe it's based on a, uh, a uh, what do they call those things that people like look at with words and letters in them? I think it's based on one of those things. Comics. Um, yeah, visual, I don't know, visual novels, I think, or something. I don't graphic know, but, novels. I think the yeah, weeds know about novels. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was kind of hopeful. I thought it was actually a true story, but it's not. It's based on a fiction. So mm. uh, it is very good. She is excellent. I'm trying to think of other standout performances. I can't really think of any. But yeah, it's my review is Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy is a star out of 10. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, I highly recommend it. I actually think you would like it. It's very, very, very character focused. She is, um, she's self destructive, uh, but she's brilliant. So I yes. love self destructive characters. That's self destructive every- and brilliant. Yeah, it's very, very good. There, there, there is actually a very serious scene that is played up for humor. I think at one of, I think at the end of the first or second episode, that I laughed out loud. I think they were going for humor, even though it really wasn't humorous. You'll probably know it when you get to it. It's very good. It's something that I am glad it got funding. Like, thank you, Netflix, for funding this, because I don't think that really... Maybe HBO would have would have funded it. It does feel like kind of like an HBO miniseries. I think it is close to being that good. Hey, keep in um, mind that we're in the streaming revolution. Someone would have picked it up. Yeah, someone would have picked it up. I forget who the writer and director is. I think he has pretty good credits. But So while we were speaking, I already added it to my list. I'll get to it eventually because uh, self-destructive geniuses is definitely a genre I like to dabble in. Yes, and I mean she, you know, I'm not I'm not going to gush too much. Yeah, she's just she's just a great screen presence. She absorbs all of the attention in every scene she's in. Maybe that's just me again, but it's it's excellent. I think a lot of people slept on it. It definitely demands more uh, more attention and love. So, right. Anya Taylor Joy out of ten. I didn't say that already. Mm. You know what? I'm just gonna echo that score because I don't feel like I know the show enough to think of something funnier. So yeah, Anya Taylor Joy out of ten. Uh, the the witch is good. I mean, sorry, the Vavitch. Yeah, the Vavitch. Oh, God, that irritates me. I just. <laughs> 
the Vivich is good. Yeah, I can't wait to. I, I don't even know. Wait, no, 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 no. Okay, well, actually, no. Are you going to mention something about the Vivich or the show? No, no, no. I was trying to think of. I can't remember what she's doing next. To be oh, she was in. She was in Emma as well. That was actually surprisingly good. I think it was a. Uh, I think it's a Jane Austen adaptation. Oh yeah, uh, that very I charming. remember. Very yeah. charming. I was impressed by that as well. So. Okay. Are, are we good? Are we good? Yeah, I think we're done. Uh, are you exhausted? Oh, no, no. I just look at the time I'm like, damn it. This is what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I saw the time. I'm like, oh, feel free to cut out a lot of the Evangelion stuff. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Because I was just, I mean, I mean, the, the worst parts was the beginning, right? I think it's all, it was only uphill from there. So <laughs> that end card, end card. Hey, look at you. You got to the end of the episode. From episode zero to the day that I finally get lazy and cancel the show. A big thank you to Joey Rawlings for providing the perfect name for the show. Be sure to always give him thanks, either out loud as you're listening to this, or you can just send him a thank you tweet at boogeyman117 underscore. That's boogeyman117, I-E instead of Y, double O. Be sure that it's an underscore, not a dash, 117.